The Wonderful World of Dark Lords Report 4 The Sleeping Kingdom After the riotous activity of Neverland, the Sleeping Kingdom came as something of a shock. I knew the name was, in the case of King Stefan's castle, entirely literal. What I didn't expect was that the entire kingdom, even those outside the castle's thorns, would be in such stasis that they seemed to be asleep themselves. All anyone seems to do is hope for the sleepers to awaken, except the one who put them there, and even she seems to be at loose ends with so few conscious humans to torment. Like a leviathan in a fishbowl, the mistress of the sleeping kingdom's considerable malice and will are constrained by her tiny realm, and woe be to anyone who rouses her from her lassitude. Welcome to Wonderful World of Dark Lords. I'm Tom. I'm Rachel. And we're discussing how to convert Disney movies to Ravenloft Domains of Dread, because Gamer Parent is our sole remaining personality trait. Along the way, we'll look at the Dark Lord, the domain itself, and some plot hooks and adaptation ideas to integrate this setting into your own campaign. Today's episode, The Sleeping Kingdom. A quick logistical note here, by the time you're hearing this, it'll be September, we're recording in June, so by September we're totally fine. However, in June, we have COVID. So if we sound a little hoarse and are a little more throat cleary than usual, that's why. I, I noticed yeah, I know. I sound, I sounding <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm not just trying to create atmosphere. Yeah. <clears throat> Speaking so like that. <laughs> so today's episode is a little bit different than the others because this is one where we don't have a setting name. Mm -hmm. You know, we have the Pride Lands. We have the Village of Encanto. We have Neverland. But one of the features of our movie for today, Sleeping Beauty, is that so much of it is undefined. Mm -hmm. There is no name. The village is never named. The castle is never named. The only thing that's named is Maleficent's Castle, appropriately enough. <laughs> we want to give you a name for the land because that's the idea of the Domains of Dread. Is It's the name for the domain, but the, we don't have one. Sleeping Kingdom, it's nice, it's fairy tale, it's... Also appropriately vague. If you want to give it a different name, go for it. Like, if you yeah. want to have it be kind of, like, culturally based off of Germany or France or anything like that, you can just do Sleeping Kingdom in the language yeah, of your choice. Sleeping Kingdom in German. And if you want to just call it, like, something like Maleficent's Domain or something like that, but we pick Sleeping Kingdom as a name that our narrator might encounter this being described as, and also hopefully a name that is evocative. Like you saw that we were doing The Sleeping Kingdom, and you're like, oh, it's a Sleeping Beauty episode. Mm -hmm. And yes, it is. <laughs> if you want to call it The Forbidden Mountain, because that's the name of Maleficent's Mountain, and you want to be showing how much she's in charge of everything, that works too. Yeah. Whatever floats your boat. Also, since, you know, before we even get into anything, I think kind of the elephant in the room here, since, you know, we mentioned a lot is vague, and we're going to be flushing a lot mm -hmm. out... Well, something that did go and flesh things out and kind of give a backstory to the villain here is the movie Maleficent. And we're not going to be doing that in part because we haven't seen it, um, but part of why we're not going to be looking to it for inspiration, part of why we didn't watch it as part of our research here is because we know enough about it to know that Maleficent isn't the true villain of the movie. If we were to do just straight up Maleficent, then Stefan would be the Dark Lord. And that's not what we're doing here. You want Maleficent to be the Dark Lord. We want, want Maleficent, Maleficent to be the, the Dark Lord. Lord. Just, we're not going to do Maleficent. Angelina Jolie wants Maleficent to be the Dark Lord. <laughs> so, yeah, we're not doing the movie Maleficent version of Maleficent. We are 
in the AU section, if you are a big fan of that movie and you'd like to do that iteration, we're going to have a couple suggestions about specifically how to do a lot of the basic concept that we're coming up with for this domain, but with the specific Angelina Jolie's Maleficent, because this is going to be confusing terminology, <laughs> Angelina Jolie's Maleficent's backstory. Speaking of Maleficent, that's a good segue to talk about Maleficent in our Dark Lord section. The Lord. Although the Sleeping Kingdom once had a mortal king and queen, there is no question of who its true monarch is today. Maleficent, the mistress of all evil, does not issue any decrees or statutes, but the entire kingdom trembles in the shadow of her forbidden mountain. Maleficent proclaims herself to be an archfey, and some in the kingdom swear that she is the daughter of the Queen of Errant Darkness herself. Apparently, the magical sleep that grips the kingdom was her vengeance over a snub at Princess Aurora's christening. This struck me as extreme, even for the Fae, but upon further investigation, I learned that the princess had only been conceived with great difficulty. It suddenly became easier for me to imagine how this difficulty had been overcome, and why Maleficent would have a certain sense of... ownership. When I had the great misfortune of coming face to face with Maleficent, I discovered one more curious trait. When I used the eldritch sight my patron so grudgingly bestowed upon me, I could see that she fairly reeked of transmutation magic. Perhaps she was merely infusing herself with some sort of elemental power. I was not in a position to ask questions. Or perhaps she hides a form more powerful or more hideous beneath her elegant fey veneer. For this episode, we have a challenge and also a thing that's a lot easier than some of the other stuff we've been doing the last couple of episodes. And that is our Dark Lord. Because our, do you know who's our Dark Lord? Gosh, who could it oh, be? Is Ooh. it Flora? Maybe? Is it Peter Pan? Yeah. Uh, it's the Mistress of All Evil. Right, and all the powers and of And all the powers right. of hell. This is kind of a return to where we are with the Lion King and with Scar in our pilot episode, where this is a capital V villain. There is no question who the Dark Lord is. There is no question who is this central evil figure the whole thing's built around. And this is one of the iconic Disney villains. This Her is, hand is our logo, yeah, guys. In the Disney villain parade, this is going to be one of the people you see, like Scar. In the board game Disney Villainous. She's on the cover. Like mm-hmm. this is you. You could very much make the argument that Maleficent is the iconic, classic, capital D, capital V Disney villain. Her daughter is the main character of Descendants. So that's easy. We don't mm-hmm. have to dig into the story. We don't have to look at the psychological implications. We don't have to talk about the family drama. We can just say the Dark Lord is Maleficent, and we've established, I think, without question, without any argument on our part, Maleficent's villainy. So let's establish her Dark Lordness. Rachel, what is a Dark Lord? Well, a Dark Lord is an evil being who commits an act of ultimate darkness, and this draws the attention of the Dark Powers, and the Dark Powers then trap them forever in a special little hell crafted just for them. And we're going to really briefly run through the four qualities that we have chosen for a good Dark Lord. We're going to explain how they apply to the Ur-Dark Lord, who is Strahd, and then we're going to talk about how we took those qualities and applied them to Maleficent. In what way is Maleficent just Strahd, but even cooler? <laughs> even I mean, yeah, cooler. look at her. <laughs> so, the first quality for a Dark Lord is their act of ultimate darkness. And in Strahd's case, it's killing his brother because he wanted his brother's fiancée. 
our second quality in A Fan Reckon's Guide to Ravenloft, The Call of the Torment, because we're a Disney podcast, we call it You Got What You Wanted, You Lost What You Had. They seem to have everything they want, they seem to be ascendant, but the thing that they want most is forever taken from them. So, for Strahd, it's, you know, he's ascendant, he's the lord of Barovia, he has eternal youth and eternal life, but he will never have to yawn it. She's the one thing, or one person, that he wants most in the world, and he will never be with her. And the dark powers will constantly remind him of this fact. Our third quality is an element of relatability, and in Strahd's case, it is really awful when you love someone and they don't love you back. That hurts. And then our final element is that the domain is a reflection of the Dark Lord, their personality, and their curse. Barovia, it is vampire land, it is dark, it is full of mists and wolves and frightened peasants to prey on. But at the same time, Yastrad, he's not with Tityana, his curse is that loneliness. And he continues to have that loneliness in Barovia because it's frightened peasant land. There's no one there who's his equal, and he's just stuck there forever, being bored and lonely. So, my premise at the start of this section was that Maleficent is Strahd, but cooler. So, let's see (laughs) if I can make the case for that. So, starting with the act of ultimate darkness. And this is one of those reasons we said in the pilot and in other episodes, nobody quite fits as well as Scar. That's Strahd with a mane. (laughs) But Maleficent's very close. Like Once again, being a classic Disney villain... And as we've argued, the classic Disney villain, the classic Dark Lord have a lot in common. Maleficent's very close to hitting these almost as well as Scar does. So the act of ultimate darkness, there's definitely lots of active darkness, but there's this very cool, inciting incident of she takes out a hit on a baby. <laughs> because she got a social snub. Uh-huh. Right? Like, she doesn't actually execute yet, but that counts as an act of ultimate darkness. Yeah. That she curses a baby to die out of a sense of wounded pride, Mm -hmm. out of a sense of offended dignity. So, in terms of the torment, they got what they wanted, lost what they had, we have a hint of this. And once again, this is where the movie is very helpful for us as the podcasters, Mm -hmm. that she is sending her troops to scour the kingdom to look for the baby, to look for the princess, to execute her revenge... And she has this line, she thinks it's happened, she thinks Aurora's dead, and she has this line where she says something like, for the first time in 16 years, I shall sleep well. Mm -hmm. This idea that she was embarrassed, she did this dramatic face-saving gesture, and it hasn't happened yet. Like, the hammer's still cocked on the gun, and that means she literally cannot sleep. Like, Mm -hmm. her wounded pride causes her to toss and turn every night for 16 years until she actually has her revenge and kills Aurora. Mm -hmm. We're going to expand on this a little bit, why she curses the baby, her relationship to Aurora, why it matters to her when we go into our version of Maleficent's backstory. Mm -hmm. Because the one problem with Maleficent and the one reason that she doesn't work quite as well as Scar is this is so disproportionate. This is is downright unhinged. (laughs) And so we needed to kind of get into why was this social snub 
and this, you know, losing face of not being able to actually kill this baby, such a big deal that she's been losing sleep for 16 years, and as far as we can tell, she has had nothing on her agenda except hunting for Aurora for those 16 years. Right, there's a line about how the people in the kingdom rejoice because they can, like, see her raging on the Forbidden Mountain, mm-hmm. and which means her vengeance is unresolved. Yeah. And that's a heck of a thing. That's a heck of a thing. Scar... Hopefully none of us who are jealous of someone are going to kill them, but we understand the impulse. It's it's hard to even, like, understand the impulse of wanting to murder a baby because her parents slighted you. So that's the the main thing we're going to be expanding on here. We are going to be going into some of Maleficent's backstory. That's where we're adding the new material. That's why you're listening to this podcast, not just watching Sleeping Beauty and, (laughs) you know, Googling 5e Maleficent stats. A lot of what we're doing is very on book on canon. We're adding backstory to fill in what is not there in the movie, and then we're changing the ending Mm -hmm. because that most of the movie takes place over the course of 24 hours. (laughs) Also, at the end of the movie, Maleficent's dead, so, you know, can't really be Dark Lording. And then we have the element of tragedy relatability. We're not gonna, as Rachel said, hopefully, dear listener, you're not gonna take baby revenge on any babies, (laughs) but all of us understand that burning miserable humiliation of a social snub, of not being invited to a party you being you deserve to be invited to, of the idea of people laughing at you behind mm-hmm. their back, people looking down on you, people talking about you behind your back, the just rage that induces, and the desire to do something huge and dramatic and poorly thought out to avenge that wounded pride. I feel confident that every person listening to this has at some point felt humiliated, felt rejected, and had, like, a terrible idea come into their head. You're listening to a Dungeons & Dragons podcast. You're a nerd. Yeah, it's right. cool. <laughs> and there is, there's the, the moment where, you know, she she comes and she mentions that she didn't get an invitation. And Meriwether says you weren't wanted. And Maleficent just is shocked and kind of recoils and starts, not wanted. And you, you can see that hurts. Like, she kind of breaks the pattern. Yeah. For the, the, the facade, the cool Mistress of All Beautiful facade that like cracks that a little bit. Yeah. The the rest the rest of the scene, she's in total control of her emotions, even when she's cursing Aurora. But that moment And we will be building on that, as yes. mentioned, in our discussion <laughs> of why in our version of Maleficent, in our version of this kingdom, why did that hurt her so much? Why did that shock her so much? And then finally we have the that fourth, that classic gothic the domain reflects the personality and the domain reflects the curse. And we have that here. Obviously, you have things like the thorns growing up. You have Maleficent sort of raging and the rage like shattering in the ending when Philip's escaping, that her rage is like shattering the landscape. And as mentioned, we this is where the ending comes in, our different version of the ending. And in our version of this story that Maleficent successfully cursed the princess, Aurora is asleep, Everyone in the castle is asleep. But the big difference we're doing here are sort of back to the future sports guide, (laughs) fell in the old Biff, gave it to young Biff, is Flora, Fauna, and Meriwether did not find out that Prince Philip was the the guy Aurora met. Mm -hmm. Because if if you haven't seen the movie in a while, what happened was... Aurora, she met Philip, but they didn't know each other's names. They they ran into each other in the forest. They, you know, they 
danced with you once upon a dream. They professed their undying love, but they didn't know each other's names. And she had just told Florifana Merriweather that she was in love with some guy and that she had met him once upon a dream. And then Philip has come to his father and he's told him that he wants to marry this peasant girl that he met and that he danced with her once upon a dream. And as Philip's father is falling asleep, he mumbles something about this in his sleep. And Flora realizes that Philip is her true love and that if they can go and rescue Philip, he can wake her with true love's kiss. So that's the whole reason that they know that rescuing Philip is going to save the day, is they, because they don't know that he's the other PC in this story. So that's our butterfly flapping its wings in Borneo for our ending, <laughs> that they did not hear King Hubert say that line about Once Upon a Dream. They do not know that Prince Philip is Aurora's true love. So Maleficent has captured Prince Philip. Because she knows. Yeah. In her dungeon... Never rescued by Flora Fawn on Merriweather, and some amount of time has gone by. Maybe months, maybe years, maybe centuries have gone by. And we're doing a thing where, as part of the curse, as part of Maleficent's curse, her torment, Philip is an agent. Mm -hmm. Because Maleficent knows that she can't kill Aurora because of the mechanics of the curse. Just She can't just go and stab her while she's mm -hmm. asleep. She has her true love imprisoned. But any day in eternity, he could escape and mm -hmm. kiss her, and she looks like an idiot. Mm -hmm. Like, her curse is broken. She looks like an idiot. She loses face. So she Again. has that tossing and turning, and every single day, she might be humiliated in front of the entire world. Because in the movie, there was that nightmare fuel moment where she says that she's going to keep Philip there for a hundred years and then let him out when he's too old and decrepit to do anything. And she's waiting. She was waiting for that to happen and just cackling and rubbing her hands together. And it never did. He just right. has been young and buff this whole time. Even if in the Enchanted Castle and the Enchanted Sleep, everyone's ageless, she's like, well, this Philip thing will take care of itself mm -hmm. in like 80 years. Mm -hmm. And I'm an immortal, so it's not really a huge deal. But it isn't. He's just, he's not aging. He's not going crazy. He's still trying to escape. He's still trying to get to Aurora. And so she has this sort of Damocles of humiliation hanging over her head. And so how this relates to what I'm talking about, the domain reflecting the personality, this sense of everything's unresolved. Everything's mm -hmm. in stasis. The people are all asleep. The castle is frozen. Philip is frozen in time. Her vengeance is that, I'm holding my fingers very close together, <laughs> that close to being complete. Her humiliation at the christening party is that close to being avenged, but it never does. So that's how the domain reflects her personality, and that's also why it's an exquisite torment for the entertainment of the Dark Powers. <laughs> you might even want to do something where, you know, Philip, well, every now and then he'll escape because you'll have to catch him just to mess with her. Right, just, and like the Dark Powers will facilitate it because mm -hmm, it, it, mm -hmm. it's funnier that way. It is funnier that way. And then she has just a couple of months after that where she is utterly tearing her hair out and miserable at the fact that she will never be able to complete this revenge. Mm-hmm. So when we were coming up with our backstory from Lefton, because again, this is all great stuff, but it's so disproportionate that it doesn't have that really good, strong, gothic, relatable feel. So we wanted to add a little bit more relatability to Maleficent. And I know that that does take away from her mystique. 
that part of what makes her so great is that she's just this figure of evil for the she's sake of like evil. like the literal devil. Yeah. So if you want to just leave all this behind and kind of take her ideas for the domain, but have the Dark Lord just be she's Maleficent and fair weird about hospitality and, you know, deals and everything. And so that's why it was so offensive to her. Your table. God bless. This is our version this is what I'm writing up in the write-up. Mm-hmm. This is our story to explain how we get to that moment at the christening. Yeah. So we had two major breakthroughs that really made this alternate version of Maleficent crystallize in our heads. And one of them came when we got to the ending, and there was the part where she turns into a sassafras and dragon. And Tom turned to me and said, what if she's not an archfey? What if she's a dragon? It's just, it fits, right? It just feels mm-hmm. right. The horns, the fire imagery, the disappearing in the cloud of flame, she's the She's green. Robes. She's got the kind of yellow reptilian eyes. She's very different from the, the, like, the three fairies we see. The, just the force of personality. Uh-huh. It just, it, it felt right. This is her true self we are mm-hmm. seeing when she turns into a dragon. Yeah. And the cool lady with the horns and the high cheekbones is sort of the disguise mm-hmm. that she uses to interact with others. So we had this breakthrough that she is a dragon, and we do need to explain why she's not, she's only a dragon at the very end. Why she is presenting herself as a fairy, as a fae, why everyone sort of thinks of her as this fae. And so we came up with... Because she does have this very fae-like personality. There is quite a bit of fae to her. Right. Hospitality, gifts, rules, curses. So we came up with the idea that she's an emerald dragon, for reasons I'll go into in a minute, but that for whatever political, magical machinations, as uh, either an egg or as a baby, she was made a ward of the Queen of Air and Darkness and was raised in the Unseelie mm-hmm. Court. And... So she's sort of raised as a fae and as an aristocrat of the fae. There is when she is uh, in the christening ceremony, she does the sort of, oh my, look, the whole kingdom's here, the nobility, the gentry. And she looks at Flora and Fauna and Meriwether and says, even the rabble. So there's kind of this class edge. Mm-hmm. She, she feels she is a higher class. She is more noble than Flora, Fauna, and Meriwether. And this is how we're explaining that, that yeah. she is... From the perspective of the Unseelie court, she is a royal. She is a member of this kind of royal family, a ward of the Queen of Arendark. Flora, Fauna, and Meriwether are peasants, but she's a princess. It's it's weird to think of Maleficent as a fairy princess, but that is what we're going for here. And also this explains why her default is the humanoid disguise. That that was fairy from a very early age, almost all of her time in the Unseelie court. She has to be a humanoid to be interacting with the protocol and the rituals and the activities of the court. So that is sort of her default guise. And it is one of the reasons we picked Emerald Dragon. We'll get into more of them later, but one of the reasons we picked Emerald Dragon is because they are one of the the subtypes of dragon that's more likely to spend time in an alternate form. The write-up in 5e and Fizzbands, they do have the ability to basically polymorph at will into a, into a medium creature, so... Get used to us saying in Fizzbands, by the way. This is going to be the equivalent of in the book from last episode. <laughs> yes, it is. So. That's the book, honey. It is the, the book. The book is Fizzbands <laughs> Treasury of Dragons or whatever, whatever long name it has. So, she years go by, she is an aristocrat, a royal of the Unseelie Court, and once again, Emerald Dragons are normally neutral aligned, but if you are raised in the Unseelie Court, (laughs) 
you're That's going gonna to mess you up. You're gonna end up evil aligned. So she's raised in the court. She however many hundreds of years. They're immortal. Dragons phase. They live a very long time. And at some point, she is snubbed. There's some kind of social event that the Fae are invited to. That all the Fae—that's this later—all the Fae from the noble to the commoner are invited to some social event, and she was not because she's not really a Fae because she is a dragon. And we, we were discussing some possibilities for this, and it might even be there's some kind of event that they have on a regular basis. And she thought for sure when she came of age, she'd be invited to it. And then they had, you know, the first one after her, her, you know, unseelie quinceanera or whatever it was. <laughs> and she still wasn't invited to it. Or maybe it was something like this super rare, you know, when the winter solstice is on the lunar eclipse and the on the full moon and blah, blah, blah. And she wasn't invited. And so she leaves in a huff because there's one thing we know about Maleficent. <laughs> It's that she leaves in a huff. She says, I'm going to make my better unseelie court. And it'll have a pony. Yeah, and, a, and two magicians. <laughs> and so she leaves the unseelie court in a huff, and she founds her own kingdom. She goes to the Forbidden Mountain. We are imagining, little jump ahead to the domain section, we are imagining that this domain is kind of on the edge of the Feywild, that the forests around this domain kind of bleed into the Feywild. So she goes to this human kingdom. There is this forbidden mountain. Maybe it's connected to the Feywild. Maybe the Shadowfell. Maybe both. Mm -hmm. And she founds her own. She builds a castle. She founds her own kingdom there. She has these little goblins. I'm going to do them as kobolds because that fits the whole dragon thing. So she has this, like, tribes of kobolds congregate under her rule to be her minions. And she gets to be queen absolute of her mountain castle. And no one can say they're better than her. And when she presents herself to the humans as a fae, they're not going to say boo about it. They don't know any different. So she gets to be a real fae as far as any of them are concerned. She gets to kind of be, be LARPing as, right, as, yeah. a, as an arch fae and, and truly enjoy this role of being a fairy princess. And this is bringing in some of the disdain for flora, fauna, and Meriwether. Mm-hmm. That they are commoners in the fae hierarchy there below her. But you know what? They are fae. Mm-hmm. They were invited. They could have gone to this whatever it was mm-hmm. that she was barred entry. Because you get that they absolutely hate each other. Yeah, it's yeah. not one way. It's not just that Flora Fauna and Meriwether can't stand Maleficent. There's a line about how Maleficent will randomly send a frost to kill Flora's flowers. Right, just yeah. in a fit of peak. Personally loathe each other. And this whole both of them being fae were taking that uh, to sort of cite our sources. And... <laughs> When they are announcing, in the beginning of the christening ceremony, they announce the entrance and the page says, their most exalted excellencies, the three good fairies, Flora, Fauna, and Meriwether. Mm-hmm. And then when Maleficent's all like, no, I'm not mad. Queen Leah says something like, and you're not offended, your excellency? So that in both cases, we have that title, your excellency, being applied to Flora, Fauna, Meriwether, and also to Maleficent. Mm-hmm. So that in this kingdom, which as we said, we're imagining is bordering the Feywild, which is smart for the humans, Mm -hmm. that that is their address, their sort of formal courtly address for a Fey is Your Excellency. So we mentioned we kind of had two breakthroughs with coming up with Maleficent's backstory. 
and one of them was that breakthrough that Tom had about her being a dragon, which is why he was kind of emceeing the dragon portion. Okay, okay. <laughs> and the other was one that I really glommed onto, which is why I'm emceeing this portion. Okay. And that, <laughs> and that was in the very beginning of Sleeping Beauty when they're giving the. <laughs> They really want to make you earn that ending. Mm. <laughs> they really, you really got to climb that mountain to get to Maleficent turning into a dragon and it's, being awesome. Sleeping Beauty is like 60% the best movie Disney ever made or 40% an interminable slog. And the the beginning, they've got like the illustrated manuscript book giving the backstory, which is fine. That's great. Disney does a ton of that, except the narrator is doing the most stilted language for him. Anyway, anyway. In the very beginning, he mentions that King Stefan and Queen Leah, who they don't dignify with a name in Sleeping Beauty, but thanks to Disney Wiki, we know it, had been trying to have a baby for a long time and hoping for a baby, and now they finally have one. And in fairy tales, there's only one way that happens, and that is with fae intervention, or witch intervention, but in this case, we have the fae. So we figured that would really explain why Maleficent so clearly expected to be invited to the christening, why she was so hurt that she wasn't, and why she felt like she had enough ownership of Aurora to be able to place this curse on her, and to be able to say, if you're not inviting me to the christening, then I'm taking this baby away, because she was my gift to you. So, when they were having trouble having a baby, they went to Maleficent, Maleficent did some kind of fae dragon magic thing to help them. And her understanding... And they might have said something that led her to believe this. I, I don't, we're not doing Stefan and Leah as being evil like in the movie Maleficent, so I don't think they would have deliberately misled her. But her understanding of the situation was that she was going to get to be Aurora's fairy godmother. And you know, it mentions in Fizzbands, take a drink, with adult dragons and with emerald dragons specifically, is that they start thinking about having offspring. That adult dragons, they're, they're thinking about the fact that, well, they are going to live for a thousand years, but they're not immortal. They need to continue their legacy. And emerald dragons have this strong sense of history, and having offspring is one of your main ways to continue your own history. So there is a bit in Fizzbands when it's talking about dragons that's the cradle gift, and that dragons can at the birth of a child bestow this gift upon them in the cradle that makes them a half dragon. So we were imagining that Maleficent, she's, you know, she's heard this happen. There aren't any other dragons around. You know, she doesn't know how to go about finding other dragons because she was raised among the Fae, but she's starting to feel that, that, that desire to pass on her legacy. And so when Stefan and Leah came to her, she said, okay, great. Aurora's going to be my heir. This is what's going to happen. They think she's their baby, but she's really mine. And so she goes through this whole mystical rite. She names Aurora mystically as her heir, and she's planning at the christening to do this big presentation. They declare her Aurora's godmother. She, you know, announces to the public that Aurora is her heir, and she bestows this cradle gift on her and makes her a half-dragon. But then she didn't get invited to the christening. So suddenly, it's not just a social snub. They have cut off Maleficent's legacy. They have snipped her family tree down to the stump, and she's stuck. And if you want to have a specifically 
practical reason she would be so invested in Aurora being her heir. We even have at the beginning in the interminable non-Maleficent beginning <laughs> where they mention that this whole, they have this betrothal already planned. They've had a daughter. And once again, the fact that Hubert has a son coincidentally got exactly the right gender baby they want mm-hmm. to make a dynastic marriage. They want to unite their kingdom with Hubert's. The baby is like maybe a couple months old and they've already betrothed the baby because this is a very accurate medieval fairy tale. Mm-hmm. And if Maleficent is the godmother of that baby and this baby is going to be the queen of this like united kingdom, then that gives her a kind of dominion over that united kingdom. Yeah. So that she would have by being Aurora's godmother and then Aurora marries Philip and joins the kingdoms together that gives her a kind of supernatural, mystical, fey contract-style claim over that entire United Kingdom. So one of the great things about this is that you really have a strong sliding scale from a leftist motivation here and what you want it to be. Because, again, we mentioned one of the great things about Maleficent is that she's such a vague force of evil. And this lets you have a whole bunch of different options for what exactly is the root of her rage here. Is it mostly that she has this possessive feeling toward Aurora, and Aurora is hers, Dagnabbit, she is part of Maleficent's dragon horde, and Stefan and Leah took her away. Okay, great, that works. Do you want to do something a little bit more human and relatable and like the Angelina Jolie movie where she was starting to feel these maternal feelings toward Aurora and she really was kind of falling in love with the idea of having a daughter and now that's been taken away from her? Great, you can do that. Do you want it to be that she's this kind of Betty Jesuit style schemer setting up these dynasties and manipulating them and it was all about owning this United Kingdom? Is it all about the social snob? You can, whatever version of Maleficent you want to do, you can do it. And this investing of power, this idea that she's made Aurora her heir, that she created her with some of her draconic magic, this once again gives you a coldly practical reason for wanting her dead. So it can be just 100% the social snub. Her revenge is not complete yet, and that means in her mind, the whole world is laughing at her. Or it can be this very practical, she has invested power in Aurora, and she has mystically made Aurora her heir. And until Aurora is dead, A, she doesn't have her full power, and B, she can't have a different heir. Mm -hmm. Like, she sort of mystically adopted Aurora, and if she were to die, Aurora would be the sort of supernatural ruler of her kingdom. Aurora! The mistress of all evil. Right. That little milk toast. Can you even imagine the laugh that Florifana and Meriwether right. would have? Oh, all the powers of hell know. So, once again, however you want Maleficent to be, however emotional you want her to be, however cold, power-hungry, brutally practical you want her to be, this scenario can slot into any of those iterations of Maleficent. Like, the actions and the goals are going to be the same, whatever the predominant motivation behind them. So that is our imagining of Maleficent, that's our imagining of Maleficent's motivation, and that's our imagining of kind of where your PCs enter the story. They enter the story with, this kingdom has kind of been frozen in time, All the people of the kingdom were invited to celebrate Aurora's return, so they're all asleep in the castle. There's this huge forest of thorns around it. There's legends about the Sleeping Kingdom, and 
that's where your PCs come in. Yes. And in the movie, Maleficent brings the thorns up after Philip escapes to keep him out. But the great thing is, again, in this version, she's so terrified that he's going to break out. She could just raise him up preemptively. So speaking of Maleficent, <laughs> as a Dark Lord, she obviously has all of the powers of an Emerald Dragon. But she also has some resources, just as the Sovereign of the Forbidden Mountain. And she also has some special abilities as a Dark Lord with this kind of spiritual, mystical connection to the domain of the Sleeping King. Yeah, because we, when we talk about Dark Lord powers in other episodes, with Encanto and the Lion King, we talked about, I think we specifically said for both of them, they don't have powers in the movie. They don't turn into a dragon. Maleficent turns into a dragon. She's got powers. And our, she's literally a dragon in this yeah. movie. So we have for her, for some of her, her maleficent powers, you know, obviously she's got her kobold servants, or if you want to have them be more goblinoid to be more like the movie, you can do like, that. do whatever you want. Yeah, it's, it's, it's your game. The raven is pretty obviously her familiar. Yeah, That's yeah. just, they, they very clearly have this familiar-like bond. And then she has all her emerald dragon powers. And the specific powers an emerald dragon gets, you know, Tom went and looked up in Fizzbands and saw them, and this is really what made him glom onto the emerald dragon, is the obvious choice from Maleficent. So, in appearance-wise, the obvious choice would be a black dragon. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't vibe with Maleficent. No. Black dragons, they have, they're like swamps, I think, mm-hmm. and they have like the poison breath. Mm-hmm. And that's just, that doesn't fit the vibe of Maleficent. So we're reading through Fizzbands to look up, dra- and once we got the idea that Maleficent will be a dragon, I got to talk about emerald dragons, and already like, boom, because you have the green flame, you have the green, like, skin, the green detailing on the cloak, uh, the she breathing the green flame. There's, there's green is the second dominant color mm-hmm. after black with Maleficent. And with green dragons, once again, doesn't really fit, but emerald dragons... As long as you make them evil, they're good. So Emerald Dragons had a lot of psionic ability. And that was the immediate thing that they had that shape changing at will. And that's our imagining is she spends most of her time in this humanoid form. So we needed a dragon type that could basically shape change at will. And Emerald Dragons also are sort of the psionics dragons. They can cast illusions. They can have this power called beguiling whispers. They have this ability to make these like dancing emerald flames that can either attack or do a kind of hypnotic like will of the wisp type effect. And that's the spindle. So maleficent, right? Like the main, other than breathing fire turning into a dragon, one of the main forms of magic we see here do is illusions, Mm -hmm. is mind control, is hypnotizing, beguiling Aurora is showing Philip this nightmare vision of him as old, is making images appear in the flames. And so Emerald Dragons, the ability to just have this inherent psionic focus, this inherent psionic ability, is just so perfect for Maleficent. And the fact that it was Emerald, it was this dominant color already with her, wouldn't have to be like, Sapphire Dragon, but it's not blue. <laughs> it, it was such a perfect fit, we had to go with it. Yeah, yeah. And we have different sort of layer types, like, you know, red dragon is your classic sort of volcano layers. White dragon is the ice and the snow and the Arctic. And with emerald dragons, it's very like tunnels and mm-hmm. caves and caverns, which once again, very much fits 
what we see of the Forbidden Mountain. Yeah. And if you even wanted to say that, you know, we'll talk about this again more in the domain section, but if you even wanted to say that she has tunnels under the castle we see, where she can, like, you know, they're huge, and she can take her dragon form and spread her wings out, you can. There's there's plenty of room for that there. So in the write-up, we are going to say Maleficent has stats similar to an adult emerald dragon from Fizban's Treasury of Dragons, mm-hmm. because I'm so happy yes. we found an appropriately colored dragon <laughs> whose powers really could be all the things Maleficent does in the movie that we see. It was so serendipitous. So yeah, and you really, with a dragon, you don't need any more powers as a Dark Lord. Mm-hmm. You know, she has her minion, she has her cur- raven, she has all her dragon stuff, and then finally, all Dark Lords have the power of closing the borders. This is that wonderful Strahd, Poison Mist plot device <laughs> lock. No, you don't get to leave PCs. You don't get to go wander off mm-hmm. and invest in real estate. You're staying in this domain <laughs> till you have the boss fight by Cracky. <laughs> if Jonathan Harker's a PC, he's leaving Dracula's castle. Right. Dracula needs a way to keep him there. And so with some of these, we have to stretch a little for closing the borders. <laughs> like... How do you think Maleficent? <laughs> we even like Emerald Dragons. They have a lair action that's crystal profusion, where they can like make these giant, you know, rock crystals sprout out right. of the ground. She was in the Feywild something something nature something something. Now it's the right. Yeah. Like she doesn't even need to be a Dark Lord. It can just be like a weird Feywild influenced Emerald Dragon to have this ability to just have an impenetrable wall of thorns grow up around the whole kingdom to but, lock the players in until you're ready for them to leave. Mm-hmm. I the, mean, Maleficent's ready for them to leave. And the fact that she's a Dark Lord can make it literally impenetrable. Yeah. <laughs> you don't get saving throws against closing the borders. So the last thing we're going to be doing here is something that we introduced in our Peter Pan episode. In our Peter Pan episode, we had it at a different point in the Dark Lord write-up because we were still figuring out what we wanted to do with it. But from here on out, it's going to be at the end of the Dark Lord segment. And that is coming up with the ideal trait, bond, and flaw. Because, as we mentioned, I'm writing this up in the format of Van Richten's Guide to Ravenloft for the domains. I'm putting on DM's Guild for free. So if you're like, I absolutely want to do Maleficent yesterday in my... In my D&D adventure game. I don't even care about Rayfoff. I just want to have Maleficent. You don't have to be taking notes as we go through this. We're going to kind of take our version. Mm-hmm. So, like, it's going to be Kobolds. And writing it up, and you can just have that to reference as you're planning your section. In Van Richten's Guide to Ravenloft, you have the section of the Dark Lord, and it'll have the ideal trait, bond, and flaw. And it'll be in the form of a quote from the Dark Lord about those aspects of their life and their personality. And in the Van Richten's Guide, they can just make up a quote that expresses the idea. But we have the glorious challenge, (laughs) as your podcasting Disney Ravenloft hosts, of trying to actually use quotes from the movie that we can find that express those things, express what is Maleficent's ideal, her bond, her flaw, etc. So I went through and compiled the list of quotes, and we're going to discuss what we want to do with them here. So our first quote is one that we've done a couple times here. Well, quite a glittering assemblage, King Stefan. Royalty, nobility, the gentry, and how quaint, even the rabble. That is a good one, but it's a lot of like... This is the problem with these like doing quotes from the mm-hmm, movie is mm-hmm. in our head, I can say this is why it expresses her ideal, mm-hmm. but I'm not sure if that's going to be clear on the page. Yeah. So yeah. maybe? Maybe. We'll, we'll come see, back to we'll it. We'll see. 
I would, if I were going to use it, probably be leaning toward ideal. Mm-hmm. This idea of being protocol, being rule. It's very mm-hmm. Feywild that there are these rules, there's this protocol, there's this court structure and hierarchy. And it's and also very snobbish. Right, yeah, exactly. And, and it's such an important part of her life is this... And, you know, we come up with this backstory, but I feel like we can pretty, it's pretty self-evident that protocol, respect, hierarchy matters for Maleficent. Yeah. I really felt quite distressed at not receiving an invitation. Oh dear, what an awkward situation. I had hoped it was merely due to some oversight. Well, in that event, I'd best be on my way. With this, I love, in our version, when she's so shocked that they say she's not wanted, it's not like, they don't, what? They don't like me? It's the public snub. Mm-hmm. And this idea of, of oh, I'd hoped it was some oversight. Like, she gave them an out. Mm-hmm. She did not get an invitation. It even says in the opening, everyone in the kingdom, from the nobility to the peasantry, was invited. Mm-hmm. So and it's she, not just fey commoners who right. invited. It's human commoners. And she was not invited, and she shows up, and she says, I'm most distressed that I wasn't invited. And she is, like, giving them an out to mm. say, oh, no. We the, forgot. I'm so sorry. The post office is so <laughs> untrustworthy. The royal postman will be executed. And then she could graciously accept the invitation they were offering. Like, oh, well, you know mm-hmm. how these servants are. You know, it happens. Yeah. But that they double down. They say in front of the entire kingdom, you were not wanted. You did not get an invitation because you were not wanted. And that is, like... For someone obsessed with status, with face, with hierarchy, with these codes of honor, that's going to be an unforgivable slight. Yeah. And to show I bear no ill will, I too shall bestow a gift on the child. Fools, idiots, imbeciles. Oh, they're hopeless. A disgrace to the forces of evil. That is a good one. That is a really good one. (laughs) You poor, simple fools, thinking you could defeat me. Me, the mistress of all evil. (laughs) Okay, I'm thinking... Maybe ideal. Yeah. That that would be a good ideal. That would be, this is sort of her sense of herself, her ideal self and her sense of herself in the hierarchy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And her sense of sort of, once again, I'm the mistress of all evil. I cannot be defeated. Yeah. This is kind of her ideal image of herself. That could also be her trait. That could also be a trait, yeah. The mm-hmm. sense of herself as, and that would explain the deep Actually, sense. the glittering, the glittering assemblage, royalty, nobility, gentry, and even the rabble could be a good trait, Ooh, too. Ooh, Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but we'll, we'll we'll continue going through right, yeah. stuff for that. Um, it's live, baby. <laughs> uh, this 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 one I picked for kind of the sense of her playing with her food before she eats it. Right, right. Is he away with him? But gently, my pets. Gently. I have plans for a royal guest. And even like this idea that he's a royal guest, that, like yes. that matters. You know, yes. the gently, gently, like mm-hmm. not just I want to torture him so to make sure you don't kill him, but that specifically that he needs to. He needs to be treated well because he is, he is a guest, and a kind of that mockery of hospitality, right? Yeah, yeah. the mockery of hierarchy. Yeah, and then the last one is, of course, now you shall deal with me, O Prince, and all the powers of hell. <laughs> okay, so let's break down what we need. We need I the think... ideal trait, bond, and flaw. Right for bond, so that would be a relationship. I really felt quite distressed at not receiving an invitation. Yeah, that, that, especially for our version of Maleficent, Mm -hmm. where she is kind of plugged into this 
relationship with the royals, with King Stefan, with Queen Leah, with this whole hierarchy. Mm-hmm. So I am totally fine with that being... Like, you could do where she talks to the raven and is like, you're my only hope, but, mm-hmm. like, that's kind of dumb. The, 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 the raven is her main Which relationship. Which is not fruitful for a GM. Yeah. I, I almost put that on the list, and that right, was like, yeah. no, no. So you want the... Quite a gl- glittering assemblage, or that not distressed. I think quite quite distressed would be the bond, and we're right, talking yeah. about quite a glittering assemblage is the trait, mm-hmm. maybe. I am really liking one of the "I am the mistress of all evil" mm-hmm. as the trait because it's not okay. just her ideal; it is this kind of defining her idea of herself. Okay, so doing mistress of all evil is the ideal, or is the trait? You think? What do you think? Is, is there anything else that right. could work as the ideal? The ideal. Like, what is her ideal? What is she striving toward? What is the sort of principle that guides her actions? Mm-hmm. What is she working towards? Something with pride, mm-hmm. something with hierarchy, something with her sense. I, I, I think we've got to go with the poor, simple fools think you could defeat me. Me! The mistress of all evil as an ideal. Yeah. Because that is that is sort of her ideal of herself and is the image of herself that guides all of her actions. Mm -hmm. So then for a flaw, I think the obvious to show I bear no ill will, I shoot up as dog. Because once again, that's like (laughs) her pride is so... And she has to be snarky about it. She has to be being sarcastic yeah, as she's she going to murder the baby. Yeah, like she's being polite. Right, yeah, exactly. Yeah, the it's, the, it's the facade of it's, politeness. It's perfect. For this is her her pride, her sense of wounded pride, her sense of being looked down upon. That sums it up well. Words cannot describe how much I love Maleficent. She's so great. <laughs> you know, Walt Disney Corporation has made mm-hmm. quite a lot of money on the fact that she's the best. Yes. I can go to Hot Topic mm-hmm. and I can mm-hmm. buy you... A wardrobe of clothing expressing the fact that Maleficent (laughs) is the best. So we've got, okay. So that just leaves trait. Trait. Mm. So something that is, like, this is the quote that would guide a GM in role-playing Maleficent. I kind of think maybe the away with him. Mm-hmm. The gently, my pets, gently, I have plans for a royal guest, maybe. Because that is such a Maleficent line. Yeah. That is like, if you want to... And this is going to be tricky in the write-up because this is one of those I can't go in and put in. Well, what we mean by this quote is that blah, blah, blah. I have to kind of hope the reader picks this up. So if you're listening, this is why we picked that quote. Because it is, it's lesser known. Mm-hmm. It's less histrionic. It is just that facade of politeness, that facade of the social rules, the etiquette. And also that just smug superiority and sense of control. And the cruelty. The cruelty, exactly. Yeah. Yes, the cruelty. Just again, just, just kind of the image of playing with our food before eating it. She's just like an evil cat. And what is a dragon if not a large cat that breathes fire? Yes. So that, I think we are good. So yes, so uh, you will see those quotes again if you go and read the write-up on DM's Guild, which we will uh, link to in the show notes. And once again, it's free. And hopefully, if nothing else, this discussion gives you a sense of our understanding of who Maleficent is and how you would roleplay her as an NPC in your game. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we mentioned that we were going to talk a little bit more about our version of what her personal torment looks like and what the kingdom is looking like now when we get to our domain section. So let's do that in The Land. The Land, 
The Sleeping Kingdom is dominated by the Forbidden Mountain and the Thorn-Choked Sleeping Castle. While the people of the small neighboring kingdom of Olstead should, in theory, be more vibrant and active than a castle filled with sleepers, they seem to be sleepwalking themselves, hoping someone else breaks the curse or salvages their many treasures from the castle, yet too frightened of Maleficent's wrath to dare it themselves. The growth surrounding the castle is nearly impenetrable, and without magical assistance I would not have had any hope of making it through, as attested by the skeletons of those who had made the attempt before me, impaled upon the thorns. Inside, I was greeted by an eerie sight. Hundreds of nobles lying asleep at banquet tables and upon ballroom floors, their finery rotted away with the passage of years, their bodies draped in cobwebs. Although they could not have eaten or drunk in that time, the people themselves seemed perfectly preserved. I could not shake the feeling of being watched as I explored the castle. While some of this could be due to Maleficent's scrying, that would not explain the sounds of something shuffling through the halls of the castle, which vanished whenever I applied any attempted detection. Something is awake in a castle where all living creatures have slept for almost a century, which suggests that it is either very powerful or not living. So now we get to the second kind of half of the show and the adaptation, and that is the setting. We have the Dark Lord, mm -hmm. and with a lot of Disney movies, that's very easy because it's the villain of the Disney movie. It's the <laughs> Hot Topic t-shirt lady. really no question with this one, yeah. <laughs> and we have to come up with all this backstory, but it was all building on Maleficent has such a presence, mm -hmm. and you get so much sense of her as a character that it was uh, just fun to try and expand that out into a full playable NPC. The land is a harder challenge. Yes. This was the hard part of expanding and adapting this movie into a Ravenloft domain. Because it's so vague. We don't, we don't get a kingdom name. We mentioned Queen Leah's name. But we had to get that off of Disneypedia. We don't know if King Hubert even has a wife. It's, it's very scant. Yeah, for the write-up, we call it the Sleeping Kingdom, just because I want people to be able to see that on DMs and go, oh, the Sleeping Beauty one. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I have to just refer to it in the write-up as the Sleeping Kingdom. Yeah. And then eventually I go into, I said we weren't going to use Maleficent, but I do go into the Maleficent film franchise just for some names. Mm -hmm. Just to give like a name for Hubert's kingdom and a name for Hubert's, like sort of a wife type character. Mm -hmm. And even in the movie... There's the bit where the, like, goblin kobold people come to Maleficent and say they've been searching for the baby, and Maleficent just says, did you search the forest, the mountains, the village? <laughs> There's apparently only one. <laughs> yeah, right? And we only see, you know, we have the woodcutter's cottage. Like, that is mm -hmm. the, one of the biggest locations we spend time in. And, and it's, it's within a day's, right, like, walk, walk yeah. of the castle. They could have just spirited her away to the remotest quarter of the realm, which apparently they did. Yeah, right? <laughs> and it's a teeny cabin, like, not even a day's walk from the castle. So this is what we came up with. We did our best. <laughs> we have the Sleeping Kingdom, or Aurora's Kingdom, or Stefan's Kingdom. It is a, mono a monarchy, obviously. It's a kingdom. It is, <laughs> it's in the name. <laughs> it's in the name. It's kind of a Renaissance-style city-state. We do have this, like, huge, elaborate castle. And then we do, and believe me, we looked very closely, mm -hmm. we have a couple of shots of a village right near the castle. Like, this clearly is sort of the village built around the castle. So when Aurora looks at it... 
over the hill, and especially at the beginning, we have the people coming for Aurora's christening. There's like a village and a bridge, and then they're going over the bridge to the castle. What is King Hubert getting out of this marriage alliance? Yeah, like, well, I assume Prince Philip isn't his only son if this is... A- <laughs> well, also, clearly, it's wealthy, because mm-hmm. we do have that, like, lush, gorgeous... The reason to watch this movie other than Maleficent. <laughs> um, and the fairies are fun, I They're guess. fun, yeah. Floor fun yeah. and Mary yeah, they're fun. fun. But, like, just the rhapsodaisical visual... <laughs> is that a word? I don't think it is, but I love Slaps. it. Sure. Visual beauty. And part of that is this incredibly lush, like, everything is so luxurious. There's just jewels and gold and silk and hangings everywhere. This is clearly a very rich kingdom. They have more nobility than they know what yeah, to do right? with, despite being so tiny. Maleficent lists like three levels of nobility. <laughs> and you see that parade going in at Yeah, the right, exactly. Yeah. There's dozens of... Yeah. So then there's this neighboring city-state, which we're going to kind of assume it's basically the same setup with Hubert's kingdom, where it's just like very wealthy, very small kingdom next door. And the rulers want to merge them together. So for obviously for sort of personal reasons, but we could also imagine this is sort of like an economic, it's going to become this kind of trade economic powerhouse. Mm-hmm. We also are positing that this kingdom is on the border of the Feywild up until it became a domain. Rachel wants me to point out to you. <laughs> because if it's next to the Feywilds, then they would be able to get out if there was any kind of congress between them and the Feywild. Unless it's one way. If you're in Riveloft, you're stuck. It's a whole thing. So it was on the border of the Feywild. We just have a couple of reasons for that. And one is that we do have this sort of courtly protocol for the Fey. We mentioned that whole referring to them as your excellency. That they have flora, fauna, merry weather. They say the three good fairies. Like That's like a title. They're just known. Mm-hmm. And this is a kingdom where you could have sort of an official court Fey. And also just it does have that very Feywild-like the sense of the rules, the sense of protocol, the sense of hospitality. We have this very, like, classic capital F, capital T fairy tale setup mm-hmm. with, like, the christening gifts and Maleficent's curse and then the fairies, like, trying to undo the curse and modify it. And nobody raises an eyebrow. Mm-hmm. So that's our positing that this is this this forest is very deep and wild and possibly has some other fairies in it or other fairy creatures, which could be great for you as a GM, give you some sense of some things to throw at your players. Mm-hmm. And yeah, we know that there is this village because Maleficent says the village, we see the village in the long shots. The two locations that we actually get in the movie are the castle, which at this point in the timeline is the sleeping castle. Everyone is under the sleep curse and they're surrounded by thorns. And the Forbidden Mountains. And both of those are absolutely fantastic dungeons to send your PCs into. Right. We don't have a lot about this kingdom, but we have two great places to give you. Yeah, we're not going to be able to get into a bunch of like in-depth politics like we did with the Lion King, but can we give you two fantastic dungeon dives? Yes. Yes, we, we can. It's the dungeon diviest episode so far, <laughs> and probably going forward. Yeah. So that's really, you know, normally we talk about kind of the structure and the politics and, you know, oh, the Madrigal's doing this and the pirates are doing that, but... Here, we don't really have any of that. And part of that is because the castle's asleep, right? So let's kind of move on to talking about the noteworthy features and locations within the domain, because that's really all we have here. For the rest of the domain, we know there's the sleeping castle, they're surrounded by thorns, they're asleep, and the locations that are awake 
Hubert's kingdom, the village, they're kind of trying to find ways for the castle to wake up because they are stuck. And I'm even imagining the village across the castle basically being empty because you had this royal celebration. That mm-hmm. In the opening, it says the christening, all people in the kingdom, high-born, low-born, gentry peasants were invited. Except Maleficent. Except Maleficent. And, you know, it's very easy to posit the same thing for her, like sort of, you know, cotillion slash engagement announcement to fill up that everyone has been invited. So this village is basically empty and everyone was in the castle, including dozens and dozens and dozens of nobles from other kingdoms, from neighboring Mm -hmm. kingdoms. So you could very easily have this just creepy ghost village that no one's in, everything's covered in cobwebs, there are things there that are awake, unlike the castle, there are you know, kind of like rats scurrying around and whatnot, you know, looking for the scraps that are left. I, I think it's creepier in the castle if even the rats are asleep. Oh, yeah. We talked about how this is probably the dungeon crawliest domain mm-hmm. we're going to do because it's so location-driven. Yes. Each of these two kind of iconic locations we're giving are, like, complex and interesting and have a variety of threats and challenges. But they don't really have much in the way of NPCs to interact with. Everyone in the castle is asleep. Maleficent's not really going to, like, bargain with you and her kobolds who even cares about them. So, really, it's going to be all about the threats and challenges and right. these Amazing dungeons. So with the Sleeping Castle, just to like go run through a couple, we've got the, obviously the thorns. They're a passive threat. You could have some kind of sleep poison on them mm-hmm. that if they get, you know, they have to make a save against falling asleep. You could have all sorts of active, you know, kind of vine blight, thorn blight type things. The thorns go after you. Then you have feral animals kind mm-hmm. of living around the castle. If you don't want to dig into sort of the darkness of feral animals eating sleeping people, it could be sort of protected by the spell. But you've got feral animals, you've got any kind of monsters, you have got possibly Maleficent's, like, kobolds are there, just to, like, keep an eye on things. Mm-hmm. They want to make sure that nobody's going to go in there and kiss Aurora, so they're going to be guarding the place. Be like a little garrison of her little, her goblin people. And you've got that classic image of the skeletons and the thorns yes. of the previous adventurers. And once again, the only thing better that from a D&D perspective is the skeletons and the thorns come to life and fight you. Mm-hmm. As once again, sort of part of the protective magic that Maleficent has done to stop people from getting to the castle could potentially kiss Aurora. Because now in death, they're serving Maleficent. And Rachel had a fantastic idea for if you want sort of a mini boss or like a kind of an NPC you even could negotiate with in the Sleeping Castle. Yeah, because when you're in the Sleeping Castle, the problem there is that Maleficent probably isn't going to show up unless you do something to draw her attention. Like she might send her kobolds after you, but it's unlikely she'd get personally involved unless things really escalated, so we need a way to escalate that. So one possibility is you've got all of these sleeping people here. They can't defend themselves. Feral animals coming in after them, that's kind of morbid, and also there's there's not a lot of there there. It doesn't fit the vibe. Yeah, but there are other things that feed on people. And so it could be really interesting if there was a vampire that had gotten in there somehow, or a nest of vampires. Maybe they, you know, took gaseous form and got in there under Maleficent's notice. Maybe one of the wedding guests, unbeknownst to Stefan and Hubert, was a vampire. And everyone else fell asleep, but the undead are immune to sleep spells. So this vampire is now wandering around the castle with an all-you-can-eat buffet. This is like vampire living your best life. Mm Mm-hmm. 
This is vampire like the end of an 80s movie where they steal all the money from the evil company and they're like clinking cocktail glasses on a tropical beach. Because they got a fully stocked pantry. They put what kind of damage is it now with and whatever kind of damage they drain. They drain one of them from a couple different people and then by the time they come back to those people again, they've recovered them. It's just, it's an infinitely replenishing pantry. This is fantastic. And it's a good way to keep that sense of stasis. Like you're mm-hmm. not having the people, the guests die off. Because they're mm-hmm. like, yeah, the vampire's not dead. Dumb, they're not going to be killing it. There's no reason to. There's yeah. thousands of people in this castle. There's no reason to kill anyone. There's all the blood they could ever want, ever, without uh, taking a single life. And then, once again, playing into this theme of stasis that we have, the vampire itself is static. That the vampire is just kind of hanging out in the castle day after day after day, living the same routine of feeding on these people over and over again. You know, there is all this thematic stuff with vampires of them being very static creatures, that they are, you know, undead, that they have to deal with this ennui and this boredom, and how much more so if you don't even have the thrill of the hunt. So it could really play in a fun way into that stasis theme, give you a mid-boss, some, or maybe, again, like Tom said, you could recruit the vampires right, now. Yeah. Like, the PCs might say, we need to smite this vampire. Mm-hmm. The vampire said, look, I'm not hurt, really hurting anyone. They're not going anywhere. And I'm bored. Mm-hmm. And you're like the first people I've had to talk to in 100 years. And I know this castle like the back of my coffin. So we could have some really interesting interactions with that vampire. And then the other big iconic location we have is the Forbidden Mountain, which like, it's already, you don't need to do anything. It's a dungeon. Philip is literally in a dungeon. <laughs> And there are kobolds, and there are traps, and there are terrain crumbling, and there are getting blasted with lightning bolts that are shattering the terrain. And, and in our version, arrows. there's a secret door leading down to a dragon's lair underneath it all. Right, there's like tunnels, there's much. Just do the movie. It's probably just a couple seconds thinking the closest to just this is a classical D&D dungeon in any Disney movie I can, I can think of. Mm-hmm. We mentioned you do have the other kind of location that gets anything as <laughs> the woodcutter's cottage. And we are imagining Flora, Fauna, Merryweather are still living there, sort of mm-hmm. under the guise of these bickery old ladies. And what they're doing there is uh, one of our hooks for getting you into the domain. Yes. So all this cool stuff, you got some cool dungeons, you got a cool setup, you got a like, complex, but hopefully entertaining backstory for Maleficent. But Rachel, what do you do with it? Dread Possibilities As I drew near Princess Aurora's bedchamber, I caught sight of an emerald flame. Believing that I may have at last discovered the source of the mysterious sounds, I turned to face the light full on. I remember the sensation of cold on my finger as the ring tried and failed to rally my will, and the impression of being surrounded by green fire. When my senses returned to me, I was lying bound at Maleficent's feet. With a tone as civil as though we were sitting over cups of tea, she asked what business had brought me to the castle. I saw no point in dissembling, particularly as I was sure my life would be forfeit if she believed that I wished to break the curse, and explained that I was investigating the Sleeping Kingdom on your behalf. She reacted to the name Yensid with puzzlement, further cementing my conviction that it is a pseudonym, and told me to repeat it. When I did, a vivid image of my patron appeared in my mind, and I knew she was reaching in with her elegant fingers and pulling it out. When she saw Yensid's face in my thoughts, her face settled into an expression of cool self-satisfaction. If he wished for a tour of my dominions, he had only to ask, she said. 
I suppose I should be offended that you came skulking about without an invitation. But tell your master that I will let you go, as a personal favor to him, and that I expect to be repaid in kind. A little favor for a little servant. Her kobold minions unbound me, and she informed me in no uncertain terms that her generosity would find its limits if I were still within her kingdom by sunrise. I could do nothing but agree to her terms and retreat, chastened to Olstead. I want adventure in the great wide somewhere. I want it more than I can tell. So why do your players come to the Sleeping Kingdom other than the mist spit them out there because you've been practicing your Maleficent impression in the mirror? <laughs> Which is a worthwhile right, yeah. goal, and I salute you, like, dear listener. Like, if you do that. And uh, <laughs> you think it'd be funny to have them fight a dragon. You want them to make that face that Philip made. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes. If you haven't rewatched the movie recently, it's so go great. rewatch it. See the face Philip makes. Make your present. PCs make that face. <laughs> it's fantastic. So we've got a couple of hooks for what would get your players to come. And the first is the simplest and the most mercenary, and that is <laughs> loot, treasure, swag, gold. Mm-hmm. We mentioned this is a really rich kingdom. Every scene we see, every room in the castle is lush. We see just mountains of gold in the opening parade. We see people carrying these, like, gold-encrusted chests and jewel-encrusted vessels. The animators are showing off with the quality of these fabrics. When Flora, Fauna, Merryweather get tiny to have a discussion that Maleficent can't hear, they're in this just, like, treasure chest. When Scar goes to sleep, he dreams of having this castle. (laughs) And you know what? It's just sitting there. Like, Mm -hmm. all that treasure. Like, mountains of gold. Mountains of jewels. And this was a big social occasion. As we said, nobility from all over are arriving there. This was, we see them with gifts. It makes total sense. And Hubert talks about how he's got this gift for sort of the princess's birthday, slash engagement, slash reintroduction to the court, this castle he's building. Only 47 rooms, mm-hmm. so just once again... Castle. Just a honeymoon castle. So once once again, getting into the ridiculous wealth of these two kingdoms. So it would make sense that not only do we have all the normal wealth and treasure in the castle... But that these nobility and these gentry and these aristocracy have all brought gifts. Mm-hmm. So you have mountains of gold and jewels and precious things, maybe magic items mm-hmm. if they brought magic items to show off their wealth. I could see that being a, in a D&D world, a form of conspicuous consumption is gifting Ooh, yeah. magic items. So and it's just Or sick. even just you know, for like Aurora's aunt is coming in and it's the first time she's seeing her niece in 16 years. So she's bringing her this like beloved family magic item. And it's just sitting there mm-hmm. gathering dust. So the obvious is the PCs here. It's the classic dungeon crawl. There's this giant gold mine. To get there, you have to go through a lot of dangers and perils and monsters and thorns and vine whips and all sorts of things. But if you get there, if you get through all that to the castle, you can fill up everything you can carry. You can fill up your pack, you can fill up your arms, you can carry a pile stacked up to your chin of platinum and jewels and gold and maybe even magic items. But what no one knows is that all these items are a thing that a dragon considers part of her hoard. Yeah, it's a twist you can play. And then if you want something a bit more purposeful or a bit more directed, like if you have PCs, which good for you, that aren't like, oh boy, treasure, let's go <laughs> steal it from those dead people. Don't want to go straight murder hobo. Yeah. Right, yeah. There's some interesting political possibilities 
with this huge social event where aristocracy from all over, including Hubert and Philip, were going out of the vent and they fell asleep and were never seen again. There could be all sorts of magic. Once again, very valuable magic items, the equivalent of wearing the family jewel as you wear the family magic items to mm-hmm. this formal occasion. And someone else in the family wants it back. Mm-hmm. Maybe there's a kind of tiara that's a traditional part of this lordship. And the current holder of that lordship really wants that tiara to shore up their claim. So they mm-hmm. say, you know what? I will pay you. I'll pardon you. I'll give you a favor. I'll do what you want. Just go to this castle, get this tiara, bring it back to me so I can show all the naysayers at court that I am the proper heir of the barony of whatever. Mm-hmm. Another thing, I don't think we talked about this before, but I just thought of it, is somebody might actually even hire you in to try and spirit out a family member of theirs, mm, like carry out their spirit yes. body and see if maybe if they go outside of the castle or if they're going to wake up. Right, or if they could like pay wizards and Mm -hmm. alchemists and whatnot to be working on this person trying to wake them up. Yeah, like, hey, PC, I want my mom back. Right, yeah. Please go in there and save my mom. That's up to you as a GM, whether or not it would work. So this is any number of other domains or other realms or other planes you could have your PCs accept a job to go to the Sleeping Kingdom. Yeah, and when we get to the part in Parting Thoughts about incorporating other domains into this one, like we always do, then we'll talk about some of the domains that are really ripe for this. But one that is sort of the core hook with this basic plot is involving Qbert's kingdom. Mm-hmm. That I was thinking about it, this is a neighboring kingdom. We know it's bordering because so they want to join the kingdoms together. And this was the king and the crown prince disappeared. And as far as anyone knows, Philip was in the castle under the curse like everyone else. Mm-hmm. So this is going to be to apply actual real world politics to this like silly fairy tale <laughs> situation. This is going to be a succession crisis. Mm-hmm. Playing really well into this whole stasis theme, actually. Right, yeah. So I'm imagining that you have this current like queen who's like a cousin of Hubert's who has a kind of shaky claim. Like there's all this opposition, there's all this critique of her claim because it's never been proved that Hubert and Philip are dead, that she has taken the throne, but for all they know, the sort of universally accepted rightful king or rightful crown prince might still be alive. And maybe even you could have it be that somebody did make it into the castle and make it out in one piece somehow, and they mentioned not having seen Philip in there. Right, just with treasure. They, they, they came yeah. out with some treasure. If you, if you want to have it be, you know, no one has ever made it out alive in order to, right, yeah. you know, bring that up for your PCs up, so you can do that too. It's, it's kind of, you know, two different options here. And so I'm imagining that this, and I have this in the write-up, that this queen has this bounty, this like standing reward for proof that Hubert and Philip are dead. So you go, you get their rings, you get their crowns, whatever, you get the medallion Hubert's wearing, you bring it out, and you say, yep, they're dead, and then Or she... permanently asleep, which is basically the same thing. Right, yeah, or dead. <laughs> or you could make them dead if they were, <laughs> if you're if they were not dead time. already, yeah. <laughs> chaotic murder hobo. So she has the standing reward, 
And I'm even imagining Hubert's kingdom as this kind of launching point for expeditions. Mm. That adventurers will actually journey to this kingdom because they hear this huge bounty. And the kingdom, this is like you're going to be more than a lot of places in Ravenloft, your classic D&D village. Mm-hmm. So it'll have like the magic spell component supply shop. They'll sell spell scrolls. They'll have like all the stuff in the PHB, all the weapons, all mm-hmm. the equipment, all the adventuring gear. Because there's this like semi-annual group of adventurers will come in, stock up, and then make an expedition to the castle. And maybe some of them come back with some treasure. Maybe none of them ever made it back. But that this queen's claim is going to be kind of in stasis until this is resolved. And even before all of this happened, this was a high magic setting. They knew that Faye existed. So they are going to have, yeah, the, the magic items, the spell components. It's not going to be like Barovia, where they're going to be, you know, looking at you askance and possibly burning you with a stake. Right. In the Curse of Strahd, they have the store, Billroth's in Barovia. And it's like you can get any of the adventuring gear that's under 10 gold mm-hmm. from the PHB. And this is like, no, this is everything. Everything in the PHB, a lot of the stuff in the DMG, it's mm-hmm. all on the table in Hubert's Kingdom. <laughs> they are so rich and so desperate. And we mentioned there is that third location, the Woodcutter's Cottage. That's where Flora, Fauna, and Merryweather are hanging out, pretending to be bickering old ladies. <laughs> But they could also be the ones that send you to the Sleeping Kingdom. Yeah. So we mentioned that in this version that we're doing, Florifana and Merriweather, they know that Aurora was in love with someone and they think it's a peasant. They don't know that she was in love with Prince Philip. And so they know true love's kiss can wake her up. And they're trying to find that peasant and send him in to kiss Aurora. So it could be that they ask you to go hunting around looking at peasants, depending on how recently this curse has happened. If it's relatively recent, then maybe they're hoping to, you know, exhaust the kingdom's supply of peasants (laughs) and send somebody in in the hopes that one of them is the, the guy that Aurora fell in love with. Or if they've already kind of done everything that they can think of on that front and they just still haven't been able to turn this guy up. They've they've sent all of the handsome young peasant boys in that they can find, and all of them got impaled on the thorns. Or, you know, maybe if you want one or two of them kissed Aurora and nothing happened, and they came out carrying tons of treasure. Yeah, right. Then, Flora, Fauna, and Merriweather are fairies. They have magic at their disposal, and they are not incapable of giving you love and feelings for, uh, for Aurora. So... They might be, you know, in this cottage, as people are coming, they'll tell you the story of the Sleeping Kingdom. They can be where you get all the backstory from. They might even know some of Maleficent's backstory. They can give you some of that. How much or how little Florifana and Merryweather know is up to you as the GM. They might know everything. They might not know anything. They might think that she's just the fae daughter of the Queen of Air and Darkness who just has a vendetta against being not invited to parties for some reason. Which is not unimaginable. Not unimaginable at all, no. But so they're going to they're gonna be talking Aurora up. They're going to be telling you about how beautiful she is. They're going to be showing these pictures that they've gotten somebody else to paint because if that cake and that dress are any indication, they've right? not painted them themselves. <laughs> And they're going to be doing everything they can to try to get the people who come to their cottage to fall in love with Aurora and go in there and kiss her. And if it doesn't happen naturally, then depending on how comfortable you are with this sort of thing, they might try to push things along a little bit magically. (laughs) 
one of your classic fairy charm abilities. Mm-hmm. Is yeah, love love potions, glamours, all, all kinds of things. This is. I mean, we've all seen Willow, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> this is. If we're of a certain age, we've seen. Yeah, Willow, right. Anyway. Mark your bingo card for Kohler generational nerdness <laughs> showing. And this is a good way to have Flora, Fauna, Merryweather, basically the same personality, not like they drink human blood and eat souls, but kind of play up a more darker horror version, a more kind of alien mm-hmm. fae, like really play up that they're fae, mm-hmm. that they just don't see a problem with enchanting adventurers to fall in love with Aurora because eventually, if you roll the dice enough times, you're going to get a 20. Because you can still have them have this very kind of daffy meddling personality with it, if you want. They can be just kind of goofily doing this. And Meriwether is either going to be the one trying to put the brakes on and say no, or she's going to be the one who says, why do we even try it without magic to begin with? Why don't we just enchant them right from the get-go? He's going to be one of those two extremes, yeah, yeah. but nothing in between. And so this could be a fun twist on the fairies to kind of remind your players you're in Ravenloft. And also in the write-up, I'm saying that adventurers journeying to Sleeping Kingdom just find themselves at the Woodcutter's Cottage. Because even if you didn't want any magical persuasion, they would want to, like, maybe kiss the princess? Like, why not while you're there? Mm -hmm. They would want to talk to you and try and convince you to at least, like, give it a shot. Because they do love Aurora. They miss Aurora. They want Aurora back. We're going to talk about this in the aging up section, but if you want to do them as extremely fey and extremely alien, it could just be because she's their puppy. And they want their puppy back. Right, yeah. Or, if again, if you want them to be more like in the movie, she's basically their daughter. They raised her for 16 years. They love her. One way or the other, they want you to go in and kiss Aurora while you're in there. Like, we had a goldfish, and the goldfish <laughs> got sick, and we bought medicine for the goldfish. You still will, like, buy medicine for you want your goldfish to be okay <laughs> if your goldfish is sick. Mm. So that can get you there. It might be that you your greed gets you there. It might be that trying to get some particular item gets you there. It might be that Flora, Fauna, and Merriweather gets you there. In terms of when you get there, when your players decide, possibly once again through your manipulations, you are Flora, Fauna, and Merriweather in this scenario. <laughs> they decide to go to the Sleeping Castle. What is this story? And there's kind of two that we see. And one is, as we mentioned, a dungeon dive in the castle. Like, mm-hmm. they want loot, they get loot, maybe they see a roar and go, like, oh, spooky, look, it's Sleeping Beauty from the movie. And then they get a bunch of treasure, and then they get the thing they're after, and then they fight their way back through the thorns, and then, boop, on to the next domain. And presumably you have Maleficent get all mad at them and confront them, because you're not going to do this without yeah, Maleficent. Right, she like, is the entire point of this Jingle Bangle movie. And she is arch, and she breathes fire at them, and they run away, and it's great. Everyone has a great time. Or if you want a deeper engagement with the setting, and this is a real advantage we have here, Mm -hmm. you can do the full story. Because Mm -hmm. our torment here is that her vengeance is unfulfilled. Yes. And right now, it's that Aurora is asleep and not dead, and Philip is still young, and he might break out and kiss her. But even if he did, she would still be trying to kill Aurora, and the curse, the torment would still be there. So this is like the one domain... Mm-hmm. We can have the torment, and your PCs can actually make the whole story happen. Yes. Because this torment is not depended on Sleeping Beauty being a sleeping beauty. Because <laughs> all the other domains we've talked about, if you bring Simba back and Simba deposes Scar, 
then the Lion King is over. If you get every single one of the Madrigals to leave, then what's even left for Alma, really? And even in the canon domains, like, you're not going to be able to permanently free Tiana and save her from the cycle of reincarnation because then we're not going to have a Barovia anymore and that's just what the Dark Powers want to keep Right, because then the show's over. Then the show's over, yeah. But you can wake up Sleeping Beauty and Maleficent is still going to want to kill or otherwise mess with Sleeping Beauty after she's woken up. But you can do it. You can free Philip. You can have him kiss Sleeping Beauty. You can have one of your PCs fall in love with her and kiss her if that's what you want to do. And you can have her wake up. The whole kingdom wakes up. And Maleficent is still in torment. And in fact, now her torment's even worse. Right. That's, it's so good. You, and this is what I would do if I were doing this. Mm-hmm. Because I want to get you know there's the option of just doing a dungeon dive. And it's cool. And there's thorns. And there's people with cobwebs all over them. And maybe some feral hogs. And maybe that's how it starts. But right. that's not how it ends. And the great thing is here, you can also do it in stages. So we mm-hmm. mentioned our timeline diversion point is that the fairies don't know that Philip was the peasant Aurora fell in love with. So it could be you find this out somehow. Maybe you talk to Sleeping Hubert. You find some way to talk to him because mm-hmm. that's how the fairies found out. Maybe Vampira tells you. Mm. But and you bring the information back to the fairies. And they're like, oh, wow, now we know what to do. Like you and you can leave and knowing that like the dominoes are falling, mm-hmm. or you could take this information, go to the fairies, and they say, "Help us rescue Philip from Maleficent," which is what I would do because mm-hmm. then you get to do the Forbidden Mountain as a dungeon. You rescue Philip, and once that could be it. You'd be like, "Oh wow, one of these days we're gonna get Philip in there and he's gonna kiss her," but now you can leave because you once again have set the dominoes in motion to resolve this. Basically, depending on how into this your PCs are. Because, you know, some of your players may be like, yes, 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 it's the Sleeping Beauty novelty session. Can we move on? Yeah, right. Can we go back to Neverland? Or you can do the full Mm -hmm. Sleeping Beauty. You can do the full story. You can find out it's Philip, rescue him from the Forbidden Mountain in Maleficent, take him through to the tower, kind of awkwardly watch as he kisses Aurora and wake Sleeping Beauty and like have the royal feast, the royal celebration, Maleficent rages, maybe she turns into a dragon and buzzes you with with emerald fire. But you can do the whole Mm -hmm. Sleeping Beauty story. And this is the only domain Disney movie we've thought about where you actually can do the whole movie. Mm Mm-hmm. And then go on to the back to Barovia and Stake Vampires. Yeah. And even if you wanted to, if you, the listener, have written AO3 fanfic about Maleficent doing other things to mess with Aurora, you can do that. You can have Philip wake Sleeping Beauty and they have the party and everything, and then Maleficent moves on to her next plan. Like, if this is something that appeals to you is doing another story with Maleficent, you absolutely can do that. So you could absolutely do that. And as you mentioned, you have a lot of ways you can do the story. And maybe your PCs are just happy to know they set the dominoes in motion and then leave. Maybe they want to see the whole thing through to the wedding and the color changing dress. Which presumably they do because, you know, PCs are known for liking to finish things. But yeah, yeah, right. again, maybe maybe they're just like, yes, yes, we all love Maleficent. Let's, go. Let's get out of here. We had our scene with her ready to go. Like, we're giving you an out here. Can you be like, and now someday Philip will return. So that's variability in the story we've come up with. Let's talk about variability with the story itself Mm -hmm. in our Dread Possibility section. In our Dread Possibility section, we talk about aging down and aging up. 
We talk about, you know, if you're listening to a Disney Ravenloft podcast, you might be an adult Ravenloft fan running this game for adult players, in which case you want to run full throttle on the horror and the aging up section is for you. Or you might be looking at the Disney part of it and saying, oh, this is great. I have kids. I want to run a horror game for my kids without it being too traumatic. In which case, the aging down section is about how to make this into a horror setting that kids can play through without having nightmares. I can go on the internet and I can find a like commemorative plate with Maleficent that's like $80. Mm-hmm. And I can find Maleficent in Duplo form. <laughs> so... Your Maleficent story gaming group possibilities are that spectrum. So for Aging Down, it's really going to be the idea of playing through the story. Kids are going to love the idea of playing through this story, especially kind of the way that we were envisioning this as we were talking about it is if you go back and watch the movie again, the fairies really do everything when it comes to Frank Philip. The the kobolds are firing on them and they turn their arrows into flowers and they, you know, turn other stuff into bubbles and they turn Maleficent's familiar to stone and they give Philip all of his weapons. Basically, the only thing Philip does is actually kill Maleficent and even that's because Flora casts bless on him. Right, yeah. So you could very easily, without feeling like you're punking the characters in the setting, just do Sleeping Beauty with your PCs filling the role of the fairies. And kids would love that. They would, you know, do True Love's Kiss at the end. They want to wake Sleeping Beauty at the end. Um, Yeah, if it's kids, do the whole thing. mm -hmm. Do the whole story. And once again, this might be the best one to do with kids because Mm -hmm. you can actually, like, finish the movie. Yes, and we had mentioned in our Dark Lord section that we have kind of this sliding scale of how sympathetic Maleficent is going to be. For kids, you really want her to be less sympathetic. Or even just, you don't need that much motivation for kids. Mm-mm. She can just be, once again, Walt Disney yeah. will show us kids are fine with it. You know, she's evil. She's evil. She's cursing the baby because she's evil, and that's what evil cursors do. <laughs> For aging up, normally for aging up, we put in a little content advisory and future Rachel comes in and tells you how far to skip ahead. But honestly, there's not a whole lot of adult content here because we were we were even thinking about it. And unless you wanted to do some like ridiculous parody of horror. Yeah, right. Like <laughs> you want to do Rob Zombie's Sleeping Beauty, yeah. then I guess have fun. You could do the Anne Rice one, I guess, but yeah. it's not horror. Yeah. <laughs> So this is, you know, one that I think would be unsettling for kids to play in, but it's fine for kids to listen to. So for once, we're not going to give you anything about skipping ahead, because I think it's fine. The big things for aging up are to have Flora, Fauna, and Meriwether be more alien and manipulative. We mentioned in the section about the Woodcutter's Cottage that they could still kind of be those, like, daffy, good-natured, but they don't quite understand what love is fairies. And... That's what kids are going to want. Kids aren't going to want Flora, Fauna, and Meriwether to be Benny Gesserit. (laughs) (laughs) But if you're running it for adults, you can do them as much more creepy and alien. And they don't actually care about any of the people that they're sending into this meat grinder of the castle. They're just kind of throwing stuff at the castle, spamming it with heroes, hoping that something's going to work eventually. And yeah, you can even imagine the whole story is really just the chess game between them and Maleficent. Mm-hmm. And that, like, they don't 
actually care about Aurora. Mm-hmm. They just want to win. Yeah. They want to humiliate Maleficent. And that's mm-hmm. really cold, really alien, really terrifying, but not, like, graphic. Yeah. So if you're doing with kids, you're going to want to do that they love Aurora like a daughter, definitely. Yeah. Adults, you can go anywhere from Aurora is their favorite goldfish to Aurora is the queen in their chess game. Yeah. And this could be a good way to say to your players, your adult players, we're doing Sleeping Beauty, but you know what? It's still Ravenloft. Mm-hmm. And these are still Ravenloft Fae. Yes. These are these are Shadow Fae, Florifauna, and Meriwether. And really, the only other way of aging it up is how creepy and graphic you get with the descriptions of the Sleeping Kingdom. Mm-hmm. With kids, you're not going to want to talk as much about all the cobwebs covering everyone and about how eerie and just borderline dead everyone looks. With adults, you can dive into that creepy description as much as you want. Right. And this might be the one area where you want to have, like, feral animals are eating the sleeping people. Mm -hmm. Because that's really jarring and creepy. And that's very much going to be, like, if you think that your specific group is going to find that a really jarring, creepy, but in a good way image, go for it. If not, like, whatever. And then finally, in terms of AU, we mentioned the movie Maleficent, and starring Angelina Jolie, <laughs> and its sequel, Maleficent 2. This is not something we're drawing on for reasons we stated, but you, dear listener, might be a fan of that movie and want to kind of do that version of Maleficent. So go ahead and keep the backstory. You don't do our backstory. Do that backstory. Only have her turn into a dragon, because that's great. Mm-hmm. And if you are doing Maleficent the movie, then you can just basically do what we're doing with Aurora still asleep, Phillips in the dungeon. And in that case, the torment is she is the one who could free Aurora. Mm -hmm. She loves Aurora like a daughter, but she chooses to allow Aurora, the person that she's closest to in the world, to be in this sleeping curse out of her sense of vengeance, Mm -hmm. that she has chosen her revenge over the potential for love and happiness and joy in her life. And any day, she could go to the castle, she could kiss Aurora, and she could wake Aurora and have her daughter back. Mm -hmm. But that would be denying her her revenge. Yeah, as far as she's concerned, in that case, Stefano would win. There you go. If you want to do Maleficent, Maleficent, starring Angelina Jolie as Maleficent, (laughs) then... That is just the one sort of tweak is this is the specific torment that she suffers. And that is a great Dark Lord torment. Oh, yeah. So It's just, again, not what we wanted to go for because the character of Angelina Jolie's Maleficent is different from the animated character. And we wanted to focus on that one. One last AU thing, once again, for all you people who might have your Maleficent AO3 fanfics up is if you wanted to set it at a slightly different time, since we are binding this to the idea of Aurora being Maleficent's heir and Aurora's bloodline, if you had ideas for some other plot that Maleficent could come up with, then Maleficent could be coming after Aurora again at a later time, or she could even be coming after Aurora's daughter. You know, this this version of Maleficent could. So if you like the idea of Maleficent as a Dark Lord, but you're looking at this whole Sleeping Kingdom idea and saying this domain is nothing, get it because it, it really is. It really is. <laughs> then you could give Maleficent a different plot and a different idea and a different thing she's going for because once again her torment is not linked to Aurora being asleep. 
So we talked about how to do it for the $80 commemorative plate, how to do it for <laughs> Duplo Maleficent, and even how to do it for Angelina Jolie's Maleficent. So this seems like an excellent segue into our parting thoughts in a section we'd like to call Parting Thoughts. So in Parting Thoughts, we always like to start with the genres of horror. As we said in every podcast, and we're going to say in every <laughs> podcast, this is maybe like objectively the best part of Van Richten's Guide to Raven. Yeah. This is just a fantastic taxonomy of horror mm -hmm. and about instructions and examples for applying that horror to a particular game, a particular domain, particular setting, manifesting that horror. It's just phenomenal advice for anyone running horror. I would say even a lot of people yeah. writing oh, yeah. horror could find that useful. So genres of horror, we prepare these in advance in our own minds. We don't pre-script this part, but I feel like yeah. there's going to be mm -hmm. one predominant genre that mm -hmm. I came up with at least. Mm -hmm. And then it's one of those like there's Number one! And, like, maybe a little... I only have one to be... I, I tried to make a second one fit, and I have me, but no, yeah, it's, it's no. really, it's really got, only one. I got I got a little bit. Okay. So, we're going to say on the count of three, ready? <laughs> this is live. One, two, three. Dark, Dark Fantasy. Fantasy. The Domain Lord's a dragon, for heaven's it's, sake. It's, it's a fairy tale. It's yeah. one of the oldest and well-known fairy tales. It's really predicated on this fairy tale logic... It's this very high magic mm -hmm. domain with good fairies, with evil fairies getting invitations to christenings. Mm -hmm. It's there's kobolds. There's like the, the humans barely do anything, and the one that you're mainly going to be interacting with is a predestined prince who's going to break a curse with true love's kiss. Yeah, it's dark fantasy, fantasy but darker. Dark fantasy, <laughs> but like if someone held a cursed spindle to my finger. <laughs> And ordered me, like, on threat of coming up with another genre. I've got two, like, very tenuous possibilities. I've got one. What do you got? Disaster. Yes, yes. That was my, as well. Because you do have a lot of the eeriness of mm -hmm. the setting we're talking about is the eeriness of a post-apocalyptic Yes. World. And this is kind of a post-apocalyptic setting. And it is that eeriness of, like, the act one of I Am Legend or any mm -hmm. of the post-apocalyptics where they're walking through uh, 12 Monkeys or whatever, where they're walking through the empty city. Mm -hmm. And indeed, like, that bit in 12 Monkeys where it's just the vine-overgrown animals wandering around New York. Like, that's the, the vibe. That's yeah. the effect. Yeah. Just the quietness and the eeriness and the stillness of this once bustling and occupied place now basically dead. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 100%. If, well, I mean, you know, like 5% because yeah, right. their fantasy is 100%. But if, if, if you held a cursed spindle to my finger and said, make me choose, then yeah. And you know, a lot of the tropes of disaster horror that you think of are much more kind of like Walking Dead, mm -hmm. the real, you know, uh, New Falcovnia, the real villain was man all along. And there's none of that here. But you do get some of the eerie post-apocalyptic imagery. And it's, it's a an interesting different take on this after right, horror right. than some of the other domains. A much, like, sort of quieter... Because mm -hmm. this is, like, the that part one, or even, like, a Walking Dead. You know, uh, Rick wakes up, and he's got that couple of minutes where it's the era, uh, 28 days later. You, yeah, yeah. You have that, like, 10 minutes, not even 10 minutes, like, five minutes 
of wandering around the empty city, and then the zombies attack. Mm -hmm. This is just that the whole time. Yeah. Like, there's no, then the zombies attack. There's Mm -hmm. no, then it becomes an action setting. Mm -hmm. It's just that eerie emptiness of the first couple of minutes of a lot of disaster horrors. Yeah. And honestly, if you if you really love this idea of you know, disaster horror sleeping beauty, if you wanted to have kind of some of those more disaster horror mm. tropes in the village with the few survivors that are there, yeah. you could. We didn't talk about that at all here because we didn't think about it until just now. But but you could if you wanted to. And the other one, I keep circling, but I can't quite mm-hmm. land the plane. I keep wanting to say there's gothic because mm. like there should be there should like, be all the pieces are there almost. Mm-hmm. Like, you've got the ruined castle, the overgrown castle, the cobweb-covered castle is one of your iconic gothic locations. You have this idea of the past, like the specter of the past Mm -hmm. influencing the present. You do have all the domains have that little bit of the gothic, as we talked about, the externalization of the Mm -hmm. internal. This is kind of Maleficent stasis, but Maleficent is just not a gothic villain. No, because part of the idea with the gothic, there is a sort of the idea of the corruption of innocence. She doesn't want to corrupt Aurora. She just wants to get rid of her. Right, yeah. That's, so. that's the big thing, that Maleficent is, we've talked at great length that Maleficent is the best, mm-hmm. but she's not a gothic villain. No. So, and that, as looking at this, I'm kind of drawing the conclusion that that is sort of the final essential piece mm-hmm. to say this is gothic horror, is the gothic villain. So, yeah, you've got a lot, you could really redo it and have Maleficent trying, trying to be the corrupter, but like mm-hmm. the, that's that's a big, the, yeah. like your table, as mm-hmm. we always say, mm-hmm. but that's not what I would do, because that's a very, very off book. Mm-hmm. So We promised there wouldn't be psychological horror this time. Yeah, we, we, we delivered. Like Maleficent, we always keep our word. Um... <laughs> So then we talk about what kind of game is suitable for the setting. We touched on this a little bit earlier. You have some settings that are basically one single adventure. Mm -hmm. Like they're there to do a particular type of adventure. And then there are other settings that'll have complex politics or multiple adventure hooks or just a lot going on where it's settings where you could, you could set a whole years long game mm-hmm. or at least year long game just in those like if, even if not a full campaign a mini campaign just in those particular domains mm-hmm. so what uh, what do you think what is this this is definitely more in the one shot yeah, spectrum yeah, because as as we've talked about there are aren't all that much in the way of NPCs to interact with. There are a couple of great dungeons to dungeon dive into, and you could be getting into some kind of cat and mouse stuff with Maleficent, but I don't think that you're going to be able to get a full campaign's worth. There's just, there's not enough here. The domain itself is just too flat. Yeah, I agree that this is, you can do a fantastic one-shot, especially if you have one of those, like, long, like, five-hour sessions, (laughs) or, like, a two- or three-part where if you go anything beyond just, hey, this is a cool mm-hmm. Disney-themed dungeon dive where you get some magic items at the end, this is doing, as we said, the Sleeping Beauty story. This is being the good fairies in the last 15 minutes of Sleeping Beauty. Mm-hmm. And also getting some cool magic items at the end. Yeah. 
And so I, I agree with you there. I think this is much more what we would classify as the one shot, even if probably going to be ending more like two or three sessions. But it's one, there's one story to do in The Sleeping Kingdom. And on the one hand, part of me wants to say that this feels like doing a disservice to Maleficent because she's such a wonderful villain. On the other hand, Maleficent kind of does a disservice to herself because there is exactly one thing that she cares about in that movie. <laughs> like, we all remember how great she is, but she has a single minded focus on one and only one thing and it's stalking this 16 year old girl right yeah and it's murdering a baby <laughs> another thing that we like to talk about in our parting thoughts section is how to incorporate these settings into kind of the wider world of ravenloft whether you're doing some kind of core or just want to have it be an island floating in the mist that has relationships with other islands somehow. So the obvious thing to do anytime you're talking about Fae is to be bringing in the Shadow Fae. With the backstory that we have for Maleficent, it doesn't really work for them to have started out in Ravenloft and been Shadow Fae from the get-go because, number one, there's not a whole lot in the way of dragons in Ravenloft. That's that's not as much of a thing. You know, there are a couple in Darkon, but there, there aren't very many dragons in Ravenloft. And number two, the court structure of the Shadow Fae is very different from the court structure of the Fae Wilds. So they still have the Seely and Unseely Court, but it's a, it's a whole different thing. But there is, in Vendrickson's Guide to the Shadow Fae, bingo. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Gee! There's a bit where it mentions that a non-Shadow Fae can sort of make a pact with the Shadow and become a Shadow Fae, and they get additional powers when they do that, but they also, you know, part of their essence is eternally bound to the Shadow, they get an allergy to sunlight, they do become immortal, like truly immortal, and a couple of other powers, but they do kind of get brought into this sort of darker version of Fatum. So, you know, obviously that fits Maleficent like a glove. What's she doing with sunlight? Sunlight never did yeah, anything right. for her anyway. Do we ever even see sunlight in the Forbidden Mountain? <laughs> um, <laughs> but it could be if you wanted to do this darker version of Flora, Fauna, and Merryweather and have an explanation for why they were the way they were in the movie during Aurora's christening and, and during raising Aurora, but now they're sort of darker and more manipulative versions of themselves. It could be because they've been infused with this uh, this shadow rift matter that's sort of uh, that's made them a bit darker and a bit more alien and disconnected from humanity. So. That's kind of the, the Ravenloft metaphysics to get into. <laughs> <laughs> when it comes to connecting it with some of the other domains, an obvious way to go here is, and we mentioned the possibility of doing a fetch quest, that maybe somebody from Olstead is sending you in and asking you to retrieve some of the uh, the treasures that are still in the castle. Maleficent's Act of Ultimate Darkness is putting out a hit on a baby. So by the time this big celebration of finding Aurora happened, they were already in Ravenloft. You could have people from other domains who are going to this party and this celebration, and any of them might have one of their family heirlooms in the castle. If Especially if you went with a domain like New Daemon Lu or Old Rishmalo or either version of Borko. Ding! <laughs> bingo! I've got bingo! Um, where either your reputation or your debts are just, they make and break your life, then losing this valuable, precious heirloom that possibly maybe you borrowed from the three hags to go to Sidira's ball and now you can't pay back, it, it's literally a matter of life and death. 
So that would really be adding some stakes to this whole idea of doing the the treasure fetch quest. Yeah, any of them you have a society where face is Mm -hmm. so strong, where reputation and where position is so strong. And actually that ties in really well thematically with Maleficent, come to think of it. It does. It couldn't just be, I would like to have this family heirloom back. It could be, if I don't get this back by the next ball, I am going to be murdered. Mm Mm-hmm. And then the last kind of interesting way to connect it to another domain would be if you've got a domain full of sleepers, we do have another domain full of sleepers of ICAF, and we also have a domain that preys on people who are sleeping in the Nightmare Lands. So you could have it be if the Nightmare Court pays a visit to your PCs, maybe they are also getting some visions, their dreams are sort of getting linked to some of these people in the Sleeping Kingdom. They're sort of like in a, in a shared dream space, maybe, or Aurora's reaching out to them through this shared dream space calling for help. Ooh, I like that. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> um, I'm not exactly sure how you would tie Icath in, since their dreams are all contained within this one domain, and Maleficent would definitely be hoarding the sleepers in the Sleeping Kingdom and her domain, but I feel like there's something there. Yeah. Maybe even just if you did stuff in Icath with going into dreams, oneromancy, dream magic, that might be mm. why someone approaches you yeah. to go to the Sleeping Kingdom, or vice versa. I was thinking this whole... A big part of our doing the whole Sleeping Beauty is you need to find out that Aurora was in love with Philip. Yeah. That that was the peasant. So if you had some kind of dream magic or dream experience or Mm -hmm. like something like some magic item that let you connect with dreams, which you might get in some place like Ecaf, then that would be the perfect setup for you're able to go into Aurora's dreams and find out that it's Philip. Yeah. Again, with the Nightmare Lands, there's a whole bunch of um, dream-shaping stuff. If you go and look at the beautiful, ambitious mess that is the second edition Nightmare Land stuff, which they have updated for various other editions online. You can go look it up, and there is stuff about dream magic there. Adapting those rules could be a good way to go for being able to get into Aurora's dreams and communicate with her, maybe. So we like to wrap up before we get into the final credits stuff with mm-hmm. uh, strengths and challenges of doing this domain. So Rachel, do you want to do strengths or do you want to do challenges? I can do strengths. Go ahead. One of our strengths, is, it is already fantasy. You know, some of these like Encanto, it's it's hard to picture a wizard running around in Encanto. It's not at all hard to picture a wizard running around in Sleeping Beauty. So your uh, plate mailed spell casting vagrants are going to fit in here quite yeah, well. Yeah. There are some fantastic eerie locations, the environments. There's not a whole lot of complex stuff going on with this domain, but the environments are so iconic. The the castle with the, the green eerie light and the sleeping people all choked with thorns. That's great. And in some ways, the fact that it's so vague actually gives you a lot more leeway as a GM to mess with it. Do something like, you know, having a vampire wandering around the castle. Or even if you wanted to bring in with the movie Maleficent starring Angelina Jolie, then you could do that. Mm-hmm. Like, you you have so much option for changing up the backstory, changing up the motivations, changing up the, like, socio-political structure. If you want to be like, no, this was the capital of, like, a giant empire. Like, you, have, you do mm-hmm. have a lot of options to customize this to the story that you want, to the background you want, because we mainly have these great locations. Yeah, because we were very much just going off what we see in the movie, which is why we had this very empty, static domain. But if you wanted to really expand the heck out of this and set a whole campaign there and really have something for Maleficent to sink her big dragony teeth into... Go nuts. That sounds great. I, w- I would love to see what you do with that. Like, subscribe, leave a comment. <laughs> 
Um, it's really cool that you can actually advance the storyline in the domain, that it's not stuck, despite the fact that it's a domain where a major theme is stagnation and stasis, you actually are able to advance the plot and make a difference. And if your players really just want to play out the plot of the movie, they can without feeling like they're just being Timon and Pumbaa from Lion King one and a half. That is, I think, the, the greatest strength of this domain, mm-hmm. in my opinion. And the, the locations are a heck of a strength. Mm-hmm. Like, that's enough right there. But the fact that this is a scenario where you can actually get to the end credits of Sleeping Beauty mm-hmm. and not break the premise of Ravenloft is the greatest strength of uh, doing the Sleeping Kingdom. Yeah. And then... Obviously, another strength is, which we'll get to in a minute, is also a weakness, is Maleficent. She's the best. She's the best. She's fantastic. We all love her. And one of the things that we didn't talk about much on the podcast, but that was really coming up in the D write-up, is that Maleficent, like Strahd, is bored out of her skull, which means that she's going to have a reason to not just kill the PCs outright. And we know from the movie she likes to play with her food before she eats it. She is going to be toying with the PCs. She's going to want to just make them suffer and hurt as much as she can before she kills them. And that means that you're really going to be able to stretch this out. And you know, she's not just going to turn into a dragon and kill them right away. She's a, she's a villain who is very dynamic and very GM-friendly in that sense. Yeah. In uh, The Curse of Strahd, like Reddit and things... Some people like the iteration that Strahd is very bored and toying with the PCs. Other people don't. But it's so dramatically useful as a GM. Because it means that Strahd is going to do the thing that's most dramatically interesting. Mm -hmm. And in character, it means Strahd's going to do the thing the GM wants Strahd to do. Mm -hmm. So, like, Strahd's not going to say, you know what, I have a giant army of wolves, I can just have you killed. He's going to be like, I'm going to send one werewolf for each PC and see see how you fare. And then if you defeat my werewolves, I might send a greater challenge to test you. Like, that's more entertaining than sending a hundred wolves and letting the action economy do its job. Mm -hmm. And that's also a better GMing experience, a better play experience. So having that with Maleficent is also a great asset for you. So that's it for strengths. Tom, what do you think are some of the challenges of the Sleeping Kingdom? As we touched on with the strengths, a lot of the challenges are in the mirror image. Mm -hmm. That the vagueness is, it's a blank page. And is anyone sending creative nose? A blank page is the best <laughs> and the worst thing in the world. Yes. And so if you want that freedom to make this setting entirely your own, once again, sort of sit down like Maleficent and say, okay, so there's this army of this kingdom of fairies and they live in the mountains and they have this relationship with the humans and they had this war with the humans in the past and blah, blah, blah. Like you absolutely can do that because there's nothing to contradict. Mm-hmm. Or if the whole point for you of not doing a homebrew <laughs> is that you don't have to do that stuff. That you have, like, the history and the politics and the places and the NPCs done for you Mm -hmm. already, it doesn't have that. Yeah, all you have here are two great dungeons and nothing else. And as mentioned, there is an entire shelves and shelves and shelves and shelves at the Disney store attesting (laughs) to the fact that Maleficent is the best. Yes. And your players are going to really dig having Maleficent, but as a GM... I see you. You are seeing GMs, how intimidating it is to do an iconic NPC. I just had to write a scene with her. It was great, but so hard. (laughs) Or once again, in a lot of the Curse of Strahd social media, like 20% of any given posts are, 
I am coming up with the first scene with Strahd. How do I do him? I mm-hmm. want to do justice mm-hmm. to this iconic villain. And you know what? I'm not a writer or a professional voice actress. I am a fella with a three-ring binder. <laughs> so, yes, that doing Maleficent, making her a presence in the story is a wonderful thing you can do. It's also a very intimidating burden the GM has to do to bring her in. And also, and we touched on this way back with the beginning, some of why we're not doing the Angelina Jolie's Maleficent, is any backstory dilutes her. Like, she's Mm -hmm. just so pure evil, just pure rage, pure pride, pure power. Pure Maleficence. Pure Maleficence that... Even, like, we tried very hard to preserve that in the backstory we made up with. We tried very Mm -hmm. hard to not make her sympathetic, make her a little wounded dove (laughs) with a big scary cape on. Because that would be so dumb. But we have to a little just to kind of say we want to give her a kind of understandable reason for the action she does. To give, mm-hmm. We want to give her an understandable motivation means we have to some way diminish her as a pure force of malevolent evil power. So once again, that might dis- if some of your players are hardcore Maleficent heads, they always play <laughs> insist on playing Maleficent when they play Disney Villainous, <laughs> then giving her a backstory, giving her an origin, giving her motivation might diminish the experience a little. And then finally, also with Maleficent, because once again, that's the whole, the whole thing's built around Maleficent. Yeah, much like the movie. Right. You're, you're here for Maleficent. Or the Maleficent shelf at Hot Topic. <laughs> the whole thing's built around Maleficent. And this was another thing where in, I know, uh, Rachel writing the D stuff, this was a real dilemma. You need to have her not sweep in and just stomp the players. Mm-hmm. But also, that's kind of what she should do. Yeah. Like, how do you have her as an antagonist with a group of level whatever murderous transients and A, do justice to mm-hmm. her, but B, not have her just sweep in and stomp the floor with them? Once again, is a very common thing with Strahd. Mm-hmm. The, I want Strahd to be the ancient, the land, the devil himself but I want my players to have the possibility of winning. Mm-hmm. And there's all this back and forth on the social media about what the like the what the right CL for Strahd is, mm-hmm. you know, CR for Strahd is to reflect that awesomeness, but also be a fair fight for the PCs. So really, Maleficent has most of the problems that you get with a very iconic, very cool, very beloved. Dark Lord or villain of any kind. This is also a problem you'd have with Azalin. You know, this is right. a problem that you might have with any Dark Lord that you're just head over heels in love with. It's it's just, you know, it's, it's the problem with falling in love with your villains. And we're all in love with Maleficent. Or even if you were doing something more like Mask of the Red Death, where it's like a Victorian mm. horror game, if you had Dracula. Oh my gosh. <laughs> or even in a more in a more mundane setting, if you're like, the villain of my game is going to be Professor Moriarty. Mm-hmm. It's like, how do you do that right, yeah. but have him be beatable by these chuckleheads sitting around your table <laughs> who are not themselves genius detectives who are little mice with little deer stalker hats. <laughs> Stay tuned, folks, for our advice on that. Great Mouse Detective is in the hopper. Yep. <laughs> not anytime soon. Yeah, right. It's Don't hold your breath. But So as Rachel said, uh, the strengths, the weaknesses, they're kind of the mirror image to each other, and the core strength and the core weakness is all revolving around the fact that we have one of the great, iconic, beloved, cherished, merchandisable villains <laughs> of 20th century American fantasy. 
that this is a character that has become probably the capital D Disney, capital D villain. She is on the cover of the game Disney Villainous. Mm -hmm. Not any others, Maleficent specifically. (laughs) So before we rejoin our narrator and find out where she is going next, let's do that normal podcast wrap up. Rachel, please tell us if they have some great ideas about how to do a whole campaign with Maleficent as the villain, how can they share those ideas with us? We would love to see them. And if you have those ideas, you can email us at wonderfulworldofdarklords at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook at Wonderful World of Dark Lords and on Twitter, where we're probably most active. Wonderful World of Dark Lords is way too long for Twitter. Wonderful Dark Lords is also too long for Twitter. So you can find us on Twitter at Wonder Dark Lords. Now to go to the part where we also talk about other stuff. If you just can't wait a month or however many months it's going to be to Great Mouth Detective to find (laughs) out, to get more of our insightful analysis of what makes a good villain a good villain and a challenge for a GM, then we've got a couple of things you could do in the meantime. And if you were listening to us praise the genres of horror section, and you also really liked how we talked about the adaptiveness for children, and you were like, boy, I wish someone would put those two things together, you are in luck, <laughs> listener. Because we have a, a work on DMs Guild called Ravenloft Gives Me Goosebumps, where we go through each of those genres of horror and we talk about how that's done for young reader horror. We talk about how shows like Goosebumps or Are You Afraid of the Dark or books or movies have taken those genres and done those genres for younger readers slash viewers slash, in your case, players. So really, if you are want to run a spooky game, for younger players, I really think this this is not just a plug because I want your money in the spirit of Gravity Falls. Uh, <laughs> in the spirit of Grunkelstan. This is sincerely from the heart. This is going to be a useful and valuable thing for you. As horror-loving gamer parents, we are extremely proud of this. It, it, it's a real labor of love for yeah. us. <laughs> I also have a couple of things where if you like how we adapted Sleeping Beauty for D&D, and you say, I would like to do this with my adult group, but they don't like Disney movies so much as horror movies <laughs> with a lot of blood and murder. Then I've got a couple of horror movies adapted to DMs Guild. If you just go to DMs Guild and search for Tom Kohler, K-O-L-A-R, then you'll see my work come up. And then for me, if once again, going to our kids stuff, I have a children's book called Mother Ghost Nursery Rhymes for Little Monsters, 13 classic nursery rhymes rewritten to be about Halloween. I also do have some short stories for adults, and you can find links to those on my website, www.rachelkohler.com, K-O-L-A-R, like polar with a K. So yeah, no need to wait a month. But until that next month, which you will find out we're doing in just a moment, and I think you're going to like it. I'm so excited. Thank you for listening, and happy gaming. Parting thoughts. Although the Sleeping Kingdom promises great rewards to anyone who can plunder the castle's storerooms or assist the desperate people of Olstead, I cannot recommend that anyone make the attempt to exploit it. Maleficent's power is too great to risk tempting her, and given how starved she is for entertainment, I believe anyone who falls into her grasp will linger there for a very, very long time. I would be among those unfortunates if not for the spells and invocations you shared with me, Ensid, as well as the protection offered by whatever your true name may be, so I suppose that thanks are in order. I will do what I must to merit whatever further tutelage you have for me. I will not be helpless again. 
I did not wish to stay in the Sleeping Kingdom a moment longer than necessary, but I needed to rest from the day's perils before I would risk entering the mists, so I'm staying at an inn in Olstead with the intent of leaving well before morning. I send this to you with- Something has happened. As I finished writing my report, I heard a knock at the door. When I opened it, I was greeted by a curious sight. Three children, dressed as a fiend, a witch, and a skeleton, and holding a large black sack in their hands. Trick or treat! They shouted. They drew the sack over my head, and I knew no more. The general populace is often incapable of opposing true authority without a firm hand to guide them. More often than not, it takes the interference of outside forces to impose lasting change upon these lands. The populace's apathetic nature to their own plight should not come as a surprise. The spell work upon the sleepers in Stefan's castle is disappointingly nothing more than fey enchantments most likely combined with ill-phrased bargains. Questions one should be asking is why and by whom this was done, for I assure you, my dear, it is not Maleficent's doing. Perhaps one day my servant shall have the arcane prowess to see her true nature, but for now, she must be satisfied with pondering the possibilities. I had not intended for my little servant to encounter the self-proclaimed mistress of all evil, but it appears she has an aptitude for being captured by witches. No matter. Maleficent is more than welcome to send one of her minions to tour my vast kingdom. I am certain they can provide her with indispensable wisdom, such as the number of grown adults that one may encounter slumbering in cradles. This has been The Wonderful World of Dark Lords. We have no affiliation with Disney or Wizards of the Coast. All music recordings used in this episode are in the public domain and were obtained through MuseOpen.org. Titles and links are in the show notes. Dialogue for Yensid was written by Azalyn Rex himself, who you can follow on Twitter at DarkLordAzalyn. The Wonderful World of Dark Lords logo was designed by Haylight Jones. You can find links to their work in the show notes. Thanks for listening. I want to vent. I want to top off. I want to top off in the great wide our kitchen. (laughs) Scomps. Scomps. (laughs) That's going in.